Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello and welcome to an episode of Talking Comics Podcast. Uh, it is Wednesday, November 24th, 2020, just before Thanksgiving. You are listening to episode 522, and I know you're all shook to hear me say, I am your host, Aaron Amos, and joining me this week are Mr. Bob Ryer. Bonjour. Steve Say. And our very, very, very special guest, my good friend, Mr. David Fossar. Oh, my God. You say it properly as well. I'm really impressed. Fossar. I practice <laughs> off, off air. I, I did. Oh, very so, well. So for the record, if you listened to last week's show, John is in a timeout. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Joey is on assignment. So we will have to push through with this on our own and figure out what what comes of it? So we're going to go through the show as we normally do. But before we get started, I really wanted to introduce everyone to David. Uh, as I said, he's my very, very good friend and actually probably knows or doesn't know this. Uh, he is one of the reasons why I re-entered this whole comic book medium and probably led to me being where we are right now. So look at that, a full circle moment. Hmm. But before we get into that, David, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me on the on the show. I'm quite honored, uh, especially when you mention all the names or the very famous people you had before. Um, um, my name is David Foissard. I live in France. Um, I used to work uh, as, a, as an export manager for many years for uh, some kind of lighting company. And because I love comics and I love books, I decided two years ago to set up my own publishing company. Uh, and this is what I'm working on at the moment. Uh, so I'm currently uh, releasing some books and working with many artists. So originally I wanted to do comics, uh, but uh, as it turns out, by uh, completely by chance, I started doing illustration books. Uh, so they're not comics as such, but they're drawings. Um, and it's mostly anthology books with many, many artists. And it turns out that most of them are LGBT-based. Um, so I'm working with... Uh, LGBT artists from, from everywhere. Um, as I didn't have a lot of uh, funding to start my books, I started looking at uh, Kickstarter options and various crowdfunding uh, platforms. And this has actually uh, served me quite well because I've managed to release five books in the space of two years. And, uh, and I'm, I'm working on new books at the moment. I'm looking for distributors. Funny enough, most of my books uh, are being bought by uh, customers in, in the U.S., because they're all bilingual books. I decided to um, have uh, English and French as a language in all the books. Um, so I'm actually uh, canvassing uh, American bookshops and uh, various distributors to try and get my books over on your side. So, wow. uh, yeah, exactly. Wow. Um, 
See why I wanted to have it. That was a bit long. I'll stop you very long. Sorry. No, no, no. That's oh. listen. We got time. We'll be. <laughs> you're you're the guest. You got the floor for however long you would like it. Exactly. I'm right. I'm right. I do. <laughs> and here we go. So uh, why don't you two? We usually at the end of the show talk about how we can uh, how people can get in touch with you. But again, you mentioned your Kickstarter campaigns and, and you know the books that you have. Why don't you tell people a little bit about how they can can look into what you do and, and get some get their hands on it? Yes, of course. So um, the uh, the main title that I've released uh, is a kind of a, a French name. It's called Bogus Book, um, and I will spell it for you. It's B O. G O double S and then book all in one word. And uh, I actually have a, an Instagram page called Bogus Book and a Facebook page called Bogus Book as well. And uh, um, Bogus in French means handsome guy, it's a contraction of beau and then goss. Um, oh. Yeah, uh, and that's the, 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 the base of the, of the book. It's uh, just nice looking people, I guess. <laughs> uh, very nice looking some of them it's a little saucy I'm looking at it right now there are some daddies on here my my yes wow uh, I was um, like shit before I, but now I feel alright I was sitting yeah, thinking, uh, are we going to go into exactly this sorry I was just sitting back thinking am I going to have to push them into really talking about what this book is or can we just get into it Yes, so um, so people can find me on Instagram or Facebook, um, and there's also a, a bogusbook.com, a very small website uh, where I actually have a shop page to 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 sell the books. Awesome! Yeah, I need to show this to Bronwyn. She is going to flip out. Absolutely, this looks awesome. Get your hands on it. <laughs> I have them staring at me right now in my little office, and I stare at it every time I'm recording. So you know, there you have it. You got some peekaboo butt going on over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole idea behind it as well is to try and stay, you know, I, I don't want to go too far with the uh, illustrations. So, um, mm-hmm. so it, it stays in good taste, if I may say so. And what was interesting yes. in, in, um, in doing these books is that if you are a little bit familiar with the LGBT market, it tends to be all or nothing. It tends to be uh, mostly the all of it. And um, the idea was to show that you could do nice drawings of nice people, but without necessarily going into uh, pornography, if I may say the word. Um, so the idea was to show more like what everyday sexiness would be about. So, um, and that was quite a challenge because most of the artists wanted to draw more and they wanted to, to go full out. I was like, no, because let's, let's show that, you know, we can be sexy without having to show everything. And uh, interestingly enough, many artists started drawing couples, doing couple things together and that sort of thing. And it became a kind of a lifestyle book. Uh, and I think this is what made the book uh, a success instead of going straight to X-rated stuff. Um, so that was a very interesting thing. I think there's a gap in that market. Uh, people want to feel the same way straight people do. Uh, and, and therefore... They want to see images of um, of people just, you know, being together, being sexy, of course, but being together, doing things together, um, without necessarily going into the X-rated field. David, I'll tell you, we at this podcast for all these years, for ten years now, have fought that battle on the representation of the female form in books. The difference mm-hmm. between sexy and sexualized. Mm-hmm. And so hearing you say that really just put a huge smile on my face. That is just brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Oh, thank you. It's all coming together. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is great. I definitely want to make sure that everyone got an opportunity to hear a little bit more about the book, the origins of the book, and what, you know, really what it's trying to, the message it's trying to send. And I definitely hope everyone takes a look, look them up on all the social media things and get your hands on it. And, you know, have a little mm -hmm. uh, quiet time by yourself looking at the book. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. You know, do what you have to do. It's 2021, COVID. And um, and just to add uh, just one thing to the book, uh, as I said, it's an anthology book. So there's about just 190 artists per book. Uh, wow. And what's fascinating is that there are artists from all around the world. I mean, I, I, I started picking them up from, from Instagram and contacting them and so on. And it kind of snowballed from there. And uh, I have artists from, from Mexico, from Thailand, from Japan, from America, from... Germany, Spain, from everywhere. Uh, and it created a kind of a big community. And my, uh, my Instagram page, I started about two years ago. I'm, I'm getting close to, uh, to 36,000 followers, um, just on the back of doing uh, four or five books and chatting with people. So it's becoming known. Um, and, and people ask me for advice and they, they send me drawings and it became a, a larger role than just putting a book out. Um, people just show me their portfolios and all sorts of things. So it's becoming very interesting. This wait, is awesome. This wait. is this this feels. I mean, I, I'm only learning, just learning about it now, but just the vibe that I'm getting off of your your site and your stuff. This looks like a very welcoming uh, place for for people to to execute this kind of art and show this side of their creativity. Mm, it's really cool. Wait, am I friends with an influencer? Could be. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what an influencer. Be sure to like and subscribe. Kind of you need to be to be an influencer now. I mean, uh, you probably need you probably need to be like I don't know, two hundred thousand followers or something. I don't know. It's a baby influencer. We'll get there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So one of the other questions we usually ask people who come into the revolving chair is what is your comics origin story? And, you know, as I said, does it change the Marvel universe forever? Why don't you talk a little bit about <laughs> forever? <laughs> um, well, being in France, I mean, we, we had a lot of French comics being translated when I was a kid in the seventies and eighties. Um, so we had, um, we had different titles and they used to compile three or four different comics. It was mostly Marvel, to be honest with you. So uh, I was uh, raised with uh, Marvel comics mostly. Uh, there was very, very little DC. And then um, as I started going to university and everything, I came across the uh, the uh, original version of, of comics, like the, the English or, or American versions. And then it kind of got, you know, worse and worse. I started, like, uh, stockpiling comics and, and I became... <laughs> It became crazy. So the great thing now is that you can get comics digitally, uh, because otherwise I would probably run out of space on my wall. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's how I discovered comics was through French translation originally. The uh, annoying thing is that um, they used to be two or three years behind. Uh, and the very first time I went to a comic convention and I saw the comics. I actually discovered that John Byrne did Superman and that sort of thing. I, I had no clue. And that was already done like two or three years earlier. But because he had not been translated yet into, into French, we had no idea. You, you would go to a, to a local a news agent or something and you'd pick up stories that were probably you know four, five, six years older than what was on the stand in the US and, and, and the UK. So what were some of your firsts and favorites that you were reading at the time? What what piqued your interest the most? 
Uh, when I was a kid, it was all about X Men uh, because at the time they they would actually print out all the uh, the, the Dark Phoenix saga and all of that, and we were absolutely completely nuts about this. Uh, what we did not know is that uh, French French publishers would actually uh, censor some of the comics. And I found out later when I read the original comics that some pages were missing or some panels were missing. So there was a very much stronger sense of censorship at the time. Uh, and they would literally cut and paste comics. And sometimes it would not make sense when you were reading. You're like, okay, this is a bit weird. You know, like he's going into the shower and then the next picture is in his car kind of thing. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, whatever, comics. Um, and then you realize that there were there was a lot of censorship. And I only found that out much later when I managed to get hold of the, uh, the, the, the real comics. So when you found that out, did you go back and say, okay, well, let me now read these in English or let me read the original? Oh, I've, I've, actually, really I've, actually, yeah, I've actually reread them all, to be honest, uh, because you just, just couldn't get enough. And knowing that you missed... Some pages by people like you know John Byrne or George Perez or something because for whatever reason they were censored. Uh, you sort of rediscovered new pages uh, of your favorite uh, storyline. I mean the the Teen Titans were actually quite big also in France at, at one point. They were reprinted and uh, all the George Perez run from from day one, and that was that was a personal favorite of mine uh, for a very long time. I never thought about that, you know, and what you know, how things are distributed, you know, in countries other than America from a comics perspective for books that are written by American creators. That's interesting to know, and whether or not there's a what whether or not it's perceived a certain way or received a certain way based on the translation or based on the you know the censorship. I never thought about that before. That's interesting yeah. to hear. I find it fascinating in that is it that they're looking at the American comic books as for children because. Things like Barbarella were coming out that were certainly more adult than anything that Claremont and Byrne or Wolfman and Perez were doing. Mm. But the thing with comics, they would come out as uh, at, at news agents like uh, like magazines. Whereas something like Barbarella, they would be printed as graphic novels. Because even though graphic novels are, I wouldn't say pretty recent, but they, they're, they're more recent in the US than they are in France. In France, graphic what, what you call graphic novels have always existed. Yes. We didn't really have a monthly comics or anything. I mean, you had Spirou and you had uh, uh, Tintin and a couple of them. But most most of the books, like if you read Asterix or if you read uh, uh, Tintin or Lucky Luke or that sort of thing, they would be hardcover books and they would come once a year, once or twice a year. And you would you would build a collection of it. If you like Tintin, for instance, you have, I don't know, maybe something like 30 or 40 books and there would be one every year or every two years. And when they would come out, it'd be like like a new novel from a from a from a famous writer, from Stephen King or something. So, and it's still the case now. When when Asterix comes out, it's uh, it's massive. I mean, it, they they print like a million copies or something, wow. and it's in every every bookstore, in every everywhere, in every shop. But it's a hardcover book. Um, so we have this culture of hardcover books in France. We we don't have floppies. Sure. Uh, and at the time where they reprinted comics, they they had three or four comics together in in the equivalent of a trade paperback or a soft cover paperback, and that would come out every month or every two months. But that's the closest to comics that we had because we didn't we don't have floppies. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, so it's more I guess the delivery system by putting it into a newsagent. It is now 
in theory, all ages, because everyone could walk into there as opposed to a bookstore, which might be a more select audience. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it could be that. But also, I think it's the, um, uh, they always saw superheroes as being for kids, uh, regardless um, of, of the content. Uh, and even today, if you said that you're reading Batman or Superman, I mean, even if you read uh, Alan Moore, they'd be like, yeah, it's comics. It's still regarded as not being that serious. Uh, hmm. So that's interesting. That's yeah. something I, I mean, that's, I know that's definitely something growing up that we, well, I say growing up, for me growing up, it's something we experience here, but. You know, I think now, I feel like now after the whole explosion of the MCU and all that stuff, it, it and as we've always said, it makes being a nerd less of a, a kid's thing and less of a, a I don't know, a, a shameful thing. Um, so now sort of the nerds unite. So I don't know if that's the case in, here anymore, but I could definitely see that being the case, you know. Being- but having said that, it's interesting what you're saying, Aaron, because the fact that it's less of a kid thing now means that less kids are getting into comics. And Amen, mm-hmm. David. I've been at this for mm-hmm. years too. Thank you. Yeah, because when I was a kid, I mean, you would pick up Spider-Man and you'd be like a kind of a finished story. You wouldn't have like a six-issue storyline with clones and with, you know, whatever, <laughs> Mormon husband sleeping with Gwen Stacy or something. You'd have basically Spider-Man fighting whether a guy dressed as a as an elephant or something whether <laughs> and then and then that would be it and it'd be a, a really fun story and uh, and and kids would dig it uh, but now because they've raised the level of of storytelling uh, and now you have obviously very uh, very intense writing and and different concepts and everything i think i think this is why kids don't pick up comics anymore because you pick up a comic now, pick any X-Men or any, uh, where do you start? I mean, I, I'm a fan. I've been reading comics all my life. I can't be bothered to read X-Men these days. I can't be bothered to read most of them. Dare you? Yeah. Well, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I mean, it's not, I, I enjoy the medium. I, I love the medium. I defend comics every time I can. I, I love artists. I love everything. And yet I'm struggling to find something to read. Uh, it sounds completely strange, but you have hundreds of comics coming out every month. And when I was a, when I was a kid, I would try and read 80% of it. Today, I'm lucky if I read 10%. And it's not because I, I hate comics or I've moved on. It's because it just doesn't really, you know, attract me anymore. It's awful to say, but it's, you know, and this is why a lot of people these days go back into um Old collections. I mean, you've got those masterworks collections, and you've got showcases, and you've got essential Marvel, and you've got, and those are doing well because people kind of go back to the past to read comics that they actually enjoyed at the time. Um, yeah, you're not wrong. You're not no. wrong, and you're right. I do find I did find myself at one point giving all of my old comics to my um, my nephews, and you know they were sort of like, "Hmm, this is interesting," but it was interesting that. Me as the you know man of a certain age giving comics to kids, as opposed to it being the other way around. So yeah, so let me go full circle mm-hmm. with this conversation. Uh, going back a little bit to what I said earlier about you know uh, David being partially responsible for you know me being here just uh, just as a little bit of history. I made you, Aaron. Okay, just everyone simmer down. All right, so just as a little bit of history, um, David was the one who informed me low so many years ago of the New 52. Um, 
being right around the corner. And it sort of piqued my interest. I had not been into comics for a while and it piqued my interest. And I said, okay, well, let me start, you know, with that again. And I looked at, look at that as a good entry point to get back into books. Um, like I said, hadn't been reading. And so I got back into the new 52. I think I bought pretty much every book that came out, you know, that first year. Um, my sympathies. Yes. Yes, we all, I know we, uh, there's some things that I wish I hadn't, but you know, it was an experience. So, you know, that sort of piqued my interest and it sort of bled into other things and moving into Marvel and then moving into other things. And then that led to me wanting to consume more uh, content. And I started looking at different podcasts and I found maybe like four or five and I, you know, eventually dropped a bunch of them and, you know, kept sticking it in with a, uh, talking comic books and yada, yada, yada. Here we are. Uh, met up with the gang and all that jazz. And, you know, you're, I'm very you're, proud of you, Aaron. I'm very, you, you did well. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the comfort. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a small world and a strange, strange way things work out. But here we are. And I couldn't be happier. So, you know, here we are for that. So thank you. Thank you, David. You're welcome. So, uh, okay. <laughs> moving on. Bob. Yes, sir. Are we ready for Turkey Day? Yes. As we speak, I had just put, I had, excuse myself for a second, I had already made my stuffing for Thanksgiving. It's now in the refrigerator. What, we're, I'm looking, I'm seeing trending on Twitter about Bob's cheesecakes. I keep hearing about these cheesecakes. What's, well, what's going on? I, it's, it's, a, it's a family recipe. My father's mother Worked as a maid and domestic. She came here from the literal country of Bohemia way back in, I don't know, 19 aught something or other. My, and she was an, an amazing cook. She, whatever she put on the table looked like it came out of a picture book for great foods. Mm. And she made an amazing cheesecake. And the first time my father came from New York City to Long Island to date my mom and meet the family, he brought a cheesecake with him on the train. He was then not allowed to ever come out here without one of his mother's cheesecakes. So that turned into, well, my mother learned to cook from her mother-in-law, my father's mother. And I learned how to do that too. And the recipe has been passed along. Bronwyn has it. Sarah has it. Um, and now Aaron has it. I just sent it to him. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. The, the thing of it is, I probably will be making one this year because I'm staying home. All right. Well, now I don't know how I, I feel about this. I, yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta figure something out there. I am. Well, let me go, Steve. I know you, you're not a big, you're not a big Thanksgiving fan because you know you're a big <laughs> no. fan of the turkeys and all that stuff. So, what are you doing? Anything? Do you care? I'm, I'm working. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Okay. Thank you, David. So, hold on, hold on. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. No, I um have a, a, a work project that um, I'll be able to officially announce and, and talk about more in uh, maybe in the next like two weeks. Is it that uh, project? Launch. Steve, yes. Steve nice. Looking yeah, forward to I, this. Um, I completed my, my first script. I did the oh, nice. narration and um, I recorded everything and I'm teaming, but now I'm just giving it away. Um, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing a work thing. That's very, uh, very akin, kind of a throwback to how I got started at jobo.com where we're kind of bringing it back. And, um, it's very exciting, but it's also on like, I need to deliver scripts every two weeks Ooh. now for this. So it's a really, it's a faster turnaround than I'm used to. 
Um, I'm a decent writer, but I am not a fast writer. Uh, I, I have coworkers that are just incredible at pumping out content. That's just not the way that I operate. I second, third, fourth guess everything that I put on the page. But um, yeah, I we actually I have like a four day weekend coming up uh, because we run on a states based schedule, and I'm going to use probably both of those days to really hammer out that script and and get it recorded and make sure that everything's good to go. Uh, And I'm going to have to be on this new work schedule and crank these things out. So uh, a little bit of an adjustment period, but um, no, I Thanksgiving, I like the togetherness of it. I like getting together with everybody, um, seeing people you haven't seen in a while, sharing a meal together, I just, I'm that person that every time that Thanksgiving happens, I need a separate meal Mm. because I can't eat most of what's served at a thanks, like a traditional Thanksgiving dinner. Um, I will usually have like some kind of chicken dish or something. Um, And yeah, I don't, I don't hate Thanksgiving. I just, I hate what it does to my body if I decide to partake like Mm. everyone else. Um, but luckily, I spend most of my Thanksgivings here in Canada now, and Bronwyn's mom is just incredible about making me something separate from everyone else, and nice. uh, she knocks it out of the park every year. And my mom used to do that for me, too. So it's it's nice that that torch has kind of been passed. So would you say last night was your Thanksgiving? Yo, <laughs> let me tell you. I'll get into that during during my lightning round. I... Had such an amazing time last night, but I feel like butt today. Okay. (laughs) Well, there you have it. Ladies and gentlemen, take that imagery. David. Yes. What what do the French do when the Americans are celebrating the subjugation of their indigenous people while getting large discounts on electronics every year? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So again. um, You had that one ready to go. We, well, in France at the moment, I mean, for instance, I mean, you're talking about Thanksgiving. We don't, we don't have Thanksgiving in France. Uh, we, we kind of doing Halloween, but it hasn't been that successful. Uh, it's more of an imported kind of, um, kind of event. Uh, to be honest, the, the next event for us is Christmas. And until then, there's hardly anything happening apart from uh, Black Friday, because that's something we've also implemented in France, unfortunately. Um, so we're still going to have the same things that you have over here, I guess, uh, with people being crazy and pushing doors and running in shops and screaming and trying to steal things from each other's basket. Ah, the holidays. <laughs> um, but otherwise, no, we don't, we don't have that many kind of celebration, uh, at the end, uh, at the end of the year. I was, I was wondering, do you, do you got talking about comics? Is there anything happening with, uh, Thanksgiving? Do you have like, uh, I don't know, any kind of special comics event? or no, not really. Everyone just sort of stuffs their face and forgets about the rest of the world. Yeah, all right. A lot of the stores will do a Black Friday or a weekend event. Might even have a signing or something, Mm -hmm. but it's mostly a store-by-store thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's nothing nothing national. All right, well. What about you, uh, Aaron? What are you doing for I I was just going to announce, I, uh, you know, pray for me, everyone. I have decided to reemerge something I had done many, many, many years, over many, many years, and then sort of got away from because I'm too old. Uh, I am making another traducan. 
Oh, Ooh, exactly. So mm. I will keep some EMTs on standby because I'm sure it will kill me this year. But it's a it's an all day event. It's a two day event. Um, I got all my meat ordered, and uh, got some people coming over. And I've even you know put the call out for other friends to say, listen, there's going to be too much food here. So I got some Tupperware. Just swing by. We'll have a drive through. I'll put it on the porch. Pick up your food and go. <laughs> so, because there's just going to be too much, but I just wanted to do it. I wanted to do something different again, and and sort of I don't know. I didn't feel like doing just the regular turkey, and just wanted to have a something to celebrate extra. And I think it'll be something also to share with my neighbors. You know, we've all gotten a lot closer over the last two years or so, so it'll be interesting to to see how it all turns out. But you know, everyone send me good thoughts because it's not an easy thing. Uh, really you, you're roasting or deep frying. Roasting. I'm not okay. trying to burn my house down. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm not doing it. Not doing it. Oh, uh, side note, just in case no one saw, Simu Liu, Liu hosted Saturday Night Live last night. Just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> he's 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 sending me signals. I'm just saying he's sending me signals. We all we all know he is. All right. Well, let's. Uh, I, actually, I actually find out a little bit more about Thanksgiving through comics. For me, if I go back to the comics or discussion, because I remember reading some JSA JLA story where they were like carving the turkey mm. and everything, and kind of all the old um, you know teamwork, um, and they did that with the Teen Titans as well. Or, so at the time, I, I didn't have a clue what um, what the Thanksgiving was about. So we started seeing that through the translation of comics. Um, wow. So in a way, that's also through comics that you figure out or you find out more about traditions or anything like this. Nice. Um, Go ahead, Aaron. Super quick. I'm sorry to be uh, to interrupt, but if um, since we didn't have much for news this week, I actually found something. So if you want to throw it to me later, I sure. will surprise us all with a story. There you Ooh. have it. Okay. Sorry, everyone. Hunker down. <laughs> um, all right. So why don't we get into some of our lightning rounds? I am going because I want I want David to see. Oh, you want to show the, him how it's done? No, I, I, I want to show I want to show him how it's done. I want him to see lightning rounds at its best. Wow! Uh, I got him back into comics, and this is what he's giving me now. Like you know, I want David to to see blah blah blah. I got him back into comics with the new Fifty Two, and now he's trying to give me. I, I want you to see the process. I want you to see the process. <laughs> you the started, David. <laughs> he wants to show you how the turducken is made. I want you to see, yes, exactly. I want Bob to go first with his oh. lightning rounds. Oh, Are okay. we ready? Give him some lightning. Shazadam. Okay, Bob. then. A uh, bunch of quick hitters this week. Elvira meets Vincent Price, number three, by David Avalone, Juan Samu, Walter Perea, Taylor Esposito, and Elizabeth Charland. Well, it finds the mistress of the dark and the spirit form of the late actor in Egypt, where the least of their troubles are two sons of the desert who kind of resemble Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. Look, great fun as always with David Avalon. Not fun in the usual sense, but still quite cathartic, was Dark Hold Wasp by writer-colorist Jordi Belair, artist Claire Rowe, and letterer Clayton Cowles. Janet Van Dyne has read that from that grand grimoire, and that has shown her a very different path to her life with the Avengers and particularly Hank Pym. Not to be punny, but the marriage of Ms. Belair's words and colors with Ms. Rowe's angular artwork is pitch perfect for this dark tale. Now, if I recall correctly, Aaron, you'll correct me, 
<laughs> we were all kind of in a wait and see mode with Nubia and the Amazons. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, issue number two made the case to the positive. Dense with character development in an almost novel-like way, Stephanie Williams and Vita Ayala also moved the plot forward with some mysterious goings-on. Althea Martinez's art, along with Mark Morales' inks and the colors by Emilio Lopez and Alan Pesalacqua, were again a standout. I went into Wonder Woman Evolution Number 1 by Stephanie Phillips, Mike Hawthorne, Adriana Benedetto, Jordi Belair, and Tom Napolitano, expecting the setup for the seen-it-before judging humanity by alien trope that I just covered in my chat about The Probe from Amanda Carr and Jimmy Palmiotti last week. Instead, I found this to be a mostly throwaway set of cliche moments that I've also seen before. I took a chance on this off the rack, but I'm probably not going back for number two. The Fantastic Four Anniversary Tribute celebrates the FF's 60th year by having a cornucopia of artists each draw a page from either Fantastic Four number one or Fantastic Four annual number three. In this esteemed group, deep breath, Carlos Pacheco, Kate Niemczyk, Salvador LaRocca, Leonard Kirk, Steve Epting, John Romita Jr., Simone DeMeo, Sanford Green, Lionel Francis Yu, Olivier Coipel, Javier Rodriguez, Mike Del Mundo, Ron Friends, Terry and Rachel Dodson, Adam Hughes, Neil Adams, Elsa Chartier, Michael Laura Allred, and Walt Simonson. That is one pretty incredible lineup and a great way to celebrate their history. Finally, I saw Edgar Wright's new film, Last Night in Soho, and I got to tell you, I think it's his most accomplished work to date. Whoa. It, it has a wonderful premise. A young girl who's fascinated by the 60s goes to London to study fashion design, as her mom did before her. She wakes one day, however, to find herself sharing 60s moments with a young woman in that period. It is fantastical, certainly, but also very grounded. It's funny at times, heartbreaking in others, and more than thrilling at its core. I highly recommend Last Night in Soho, which has also a killer 60s soundtrack. So that's it for me. You see what I'm talking about? You see how that happens? It's, I don't know. I know. know. I wish wish I had written notes and all that now. (laughs) Time time somehow folds in on itself when Bob does his lightning round and somehow, boom, just like that. So, Nubia and the Amazons, number two. Okay. I I agree. I, I the needle did move for me more in the positive. I'm still a little, a little bit in the wait and see, but it did move more in the positive. It felt more familiar to me from an Amazon's perspective. Um, it did set up, you know, a, a little bit more for me anyway. A little bit more of the 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 foundation of the this time Nubia's time on the mascara, um, and even though it's a retelling of her origin. Uh, I think it could it has the potential to be very interesting. So I'm definitely going to keep reading it. Um, like I said, the first, like we said last time, the first issue didn't really sell us on a whole lot. This one gave us a little bit more, and there's more of a antagonist protagonist mm-hmm. thing going on here now. So I'm I'm happy about that. So we'll see where it goes. But I, I enjoyed it overall, though I did. Did you, Aaron? Uh, Aaron, don't you think that uh, nowadays you need? I mean, before we were talking about old comics, uh, and the stories would be either self-contained or, or you would get a lot from a, from a couple of issues. But I think now it's becoming the norm to have like six or eight issues before you start getting into something. That is correct, and it's uh, it's getting really frustrating as far as I'm concerned because 
you, you pick up two, three, four books, whatever, and they're like four or five dollars or more. And then it's like, yeah, I'm kind of warming up to it. Uh, it looks like it's, it might be going somewhere. I'm like, yeah, you know, you, you, we shouldn't be feeling that way after issue two or three. It's like, you should feel that way after issue one. Like, you don't really know where it's going, but it's promising. But by issue two, if it's still thing like it's kind of warming up, I'm like, whoa, you know. There are know. definitely, definitely some creators, we've talked about this before, that have, that are, are we'll say, the kings of <laughs> making you wait. Uh, I didn't mention Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, you'll notice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm making you wait and uh, understand what's being said. Uh, Others, I think, are doing better at giving you a little bit more. But I think, yeah, the the standard these days does seem like it's a, well, let's see how this all plays together as a collection after we get to six. Well, that's it. it. It's writing writing for the trade. And And David, I mention this all the time. One of the most... Honored storylines in the history of comics is the Galactus trilogy by Stanley and Jack Kirby from way back when. Hmm. It only actually takes up half of issue 48, all of 49, and about two thirds of issue 50. And today, that would be at least a year's storyline. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. Mm. It's it's a different world we live in. You know, they got to string you along. They got to sell their world. They really do. Uh, Aaron, I, I, I will advise you against Wonder Woman Evolution just to save yourself four dollars. You okay. know, I I teetered. Okay, whether I know you were. I know you were. I really, really did. I teetered, and I'm like, I just can't. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just getting back into, <clears throat> excuse me, the mainline Wonder Woman and really enjoying it. I don't want to. I don't want to ask too much. I don't no, want to ask too much of Wonder Woman. I did pick up Fantastic Four Anniversary Tribute, but I didn't get a chance to read it. So I'm gonna I'm I'm excited to sort of look into that. So we'll see how that goes. As the art changes page to page, it's really uh, quite something fantastic. No pun intended. I, I'm looking forward to it. Any other uh, questions or comments on Bob's books? Anyone? Uh, yeah, just a comment on Fantastic Four uh, because it seems like they they keep on. Uh, you know, they're they're going to do. Um, a new version of old uh, comics like a, a page from Fantastic Four number one and Fantastic Four and the, the frustrating thing for me about Fantastic Four is that I absolutely loved the uh, the Kirby and Sinot run you know I think it's all condensed in uh, the second omnibus or something where everything happens whether it's Galactus and Black Panther and every, everything humans uh, right everything is in those kind of like the whole universe exploded within like 20 or 30 issues of Fantastic Four. And I find the Fantastic Four, if I may say, really boring today. Um, I have to be of a strong opinion, but they don't do it for me anymore. Uh, uh, There's no sense of excitement. There's no sense of um, wonder or anything like this. It's uh, They just go through the motion and it's a family and they do this and they do that. And the only way to make Fantastic Four stick out now and then is to rehash old uh, comics and get them drawn by superstar artists like Olivier Quappel or whoever is doing really well at the moment. And I think it's a shame. I think Fantastic Four is a brilliant franchise and somehow nobody is doing them any justice. But that's that's personal opinion. I... Especially when I, when I reread the, the, the Kirby and Sinnott issues. I mean, uh, recently um, there was an artisan um, edition of, uh, of Fantastic Four because yeah, you know they do, they do, yeah. they do the uh, artist edition which is the, the really large format hardcover really expensive one 
And recently, IDW has been reprinting them in a, in a smaller version, and they call them artisan books. And basically, it's a, it's a scan of original pages. And they've done one that I got the other day. I was blown away. I was blown away by the Fantastic Four, by the, the, the energy, the art, the, the sheer creativity of it. And I, I cannot remember having this feeling with Fantastic Four for the last, I don't know how many years. And I think people hang on to Fantastic Four like the way they hang on to some of the some of the comics or some of the characters purely based on nostalgia, not because they're actually great anymore. And I think that's the case with Fantastic Four. And the anniversary tribute just highlights that. It highlights that it was better before, and now we just keep on redrawing the same thing with a new twist. Um, and I think it's a bit of a shame. I don't disagree in, in total. Over mm-hmm. the last, over the honestly, since John Byrne left, the book has been spotty across these years. A couple mm-hmm. of highlights. Jonathan Hickman's was really, really good. It may have gone on too but that long. That was a while ago, though. That's 10 now. years ago. Yeah. Matt Fraction followed him and did a great job until Marvel forced him to do The Inhumans and the whole book went down the drain because he just couldn't do eight books a month. He was doing Fantastic Four and FF. The recent Dan Slott run has been very, very good. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, really, has, really has turned it around in reintroducing a huge supporting cast and not everyone gets all their time in every issue, but in the course of uh, two or three issues, everyone gets a chance to shine, introduce some new drama to it. There's a whole, we, we have we talk about around here that, you know, Sue is right a lot, <laughs> <laughs> particularly <laughs> regarding right. her brother, who is, you know, a problem. He's, he's brought us a Dr. Doom who seems as that, Yes, he's a villain, but there's a, a regalness to what he does. He has a code, and it's his own particular thing, but it's a doom we haven't seen probably since Burn, and that, that makes me very happy. It is still not – it's not the Lee Kirby Sinat run of those glory days, but he has done something that has put them back on the map after Marvel themselves put them on the sideline for two years. Because mm, of, no, that's good to know. That's good to know. I yeah. should definitely check it out. Yeah, if you can do it digitally, just try a couple. There's a there's an arc that we will talk about in a couple of weeks on our award show that I'm going to call the Bride of Doom. Yes, <laughs> it, I, I will agree. I, it's interesting that that timeline that you gave, Bob. I probably read the most Fantastic Four starting with the Hickman Run, Fantastic Four, and um, FF, um, Future Foundation, um, and Really, really, that's what sort of piqued my interest and continued to read more about it. And I I do remember thinking at the time what was separating them from the rest of the Marvel Universe was the relationship of the family, even that weird relationship between Valeria and Doom. Uncle Doom, Yeah, Uncle Doom, that I thought was really sweet, twisted but sweet. And then all those areas that you talked about in between, I sort of, I sort of tapped out. I, I just didn't feel that that connection there and then slot came in and i remember we all read the first issue of slot and we were all just like yep we're all in (laughs) (laughs) we're all we're all back and it's kind of been the art has been amazing it's been a really really good testament to my opinion a good testament to them 
being a family, being a family of superheroes, being grounded in who each character, the foundation of who each character is supposed to be, but not perfection. I mean, it's very clear in Slot's run that even though Reed is, well, I guess now after Lunella, what, the second smartest person in the universe? Yes, right. Smart, um, but he's not perfect. And they, mm-hmm. they make it clear that he's not perfect. And, you know, the same goes for all of them. They, they, are, they really settle into their personalities. And, and Sue was right. You know, Johnny yes. doesn't need adult supervision, and, and mm-hmm. it's clear that that is clear. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know because there's there's he there's actions and then there's consequences. So I, I would recommend the the slot run. Mm-hmm. I really really enjoy it. There have been some nice additions to the to the family. Some wonderful things with Ben and Alicia and what's oh, happened yes. there. But oh, I think what Dan Slot's run has shown us is the as, as David's pointed out, it is the strength of the Lee Kirby creation. That if you just honor that you can get something really special mm. Mm. agreed well, i hope that reed rich is a bit more of a, a fighter because what strikes me when you read the old issue the old kirby whatever is that he he was a scientist yes but he's also a fighter he's also somebody who's uh every time there was a fight there was there was always the, the three guys really fighting yeah. uh and i think the, the way it's been portrayed in in recent years i mean i haven't obviously read all, all those arcs that you've been talking about so maybe i'm wrong but he just sounds like a the scientist who obviously gets it all sorted and thinks a lot but he hardly fights as much and i think this is what i enjoyed about the the kirby synod run at the time is that there was a time for science and there was a time for good old you know uh smackdown absolutely uh, Absolutely, I, w- I would strongly suggest the f- first arc of the Kirby. I'm um, sorry, Kirby of the slot run. I wrote that down. I think you will like it. Yes. All right. You will read it and you will love it. And I'm like, and um, anything else? If we're doing recommendations for David, I was going to say this earlier when we were talking about his books. David, have you ever read uh, "Safe Sex" from Tina Horn? No, I haven't. You should absolutely check that out. I'm writing that down now. Yeah, it's it's really something. Is it really safe? <laughs> uh, it's very it's very smartly written. It has tremendous artwork and a very cool concept. And I just I, I immediately thought of it when uh, when I saw some of your some of your work and some of the contributing artists that you have on uh, your anthology. So all the throw that out there. All right, all right. Thanks for that. I will check it. I'll check it out. All right, moving on because uh, I, I want to give Steve an opportunity to get it out <laughs> because I, I know he's teetering. Um, no, Steve, why don't you do your lightning round? Sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just give me a second here. Deep breath. Deep breath. Deep breath. Um, well, here I'll. Uh, I'll talk about uh, Superman, Son of Kal-El, number five. I'm so glad that I started reading this book because it's probably my favorite Superman book, period. Uh, This comes from Tom Taylor. He did the script. John Timms is the artist. Hi-Fi does the colors. And Dave Sharp does letters. So here's the deal. And the... I haven't read a lot of Superman and I've enjoyed a lot of Superman stories throughout the years, whether it's kingdom come or red sun or some of the, what was that one? Superman blue or something like that. Yeah, it, was, it was just, uh, I think it was blue or was it red and blue or something like that. Yeah. Something it was like electric that. Superman. Was he, when he turned like with his electric powers, 
No, I don't. No, I don't know. remember like the, the recent thing that they did in yeah. uh, red, red and uh, red and blue. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. The anthology mm-hmm. one. Okay. Yeah, like I've read like a lot of the classic runs and stuff like that, and I and I really enjoyed those, but I've never really clicked with a proper like ongoing Superman title, and this book, John's version of Superman, is the Superman ideal for me the way the way that he behaves the the way that he feels the sense of responsibility to be greater than his dad his power set if you can imagine somebody being stronger than superman john is kind of it like he's he's like an evolved version of his dad but he's making the superman identity his own in this book and of course this is the this was the big lead up to mm. uh the smooch going on between the characters and it was a really well-earned, very sweet moment within the story. But for the vast majority of this issue in particular, you get John has been like hit with a ray that it's basically his, his powers are on overdrive and he can hear everything in the world and he can see it all and everything. And he just, he is, feels like he's being pulled in so many different directions, but because his powers are amplified. He's able to move around like the flash, if not faster and get to all of these people in time and watching him go around the world and save all of these people. The dialogue is so nice. And I just really, really love watching Superman be Superman. And it's wonderful. And like I said, the, the moment toward the, uh, toward the end of the issue is uh, between him and uh, I believe Jay if I'm not getting the name wrong, uh, is just stupendous. And I, I highly recommend this this a lot. I'm really glad that um, there was such a push for it to uh, to catch up with this and read it. It's a wonderful series so far. You're welcome. Uh, other than that, yeah, actually, thank you. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, in all seriousness, like I, I can't imagine my pull list without this book on it. And it's just another it's another feather in Tom Taylor's cap. He he's doing some really, really incredible comic work this year. And uh, I just love his voice. I love the way that he, it feels like he takes care with the characters. He really studies them and really thinks about who they are and who he wants them to be. And it's, you know, no shade to other creators, but sometimes it can feel like if you get a big name character, you're just kind of pulling from the bag of tricks and plugging it in to do a run. Um, this feels special to me, this particular run. So that's uh, Superman, Son of Kella, number five. Then I went on a bat bender, read a bunch of Batman stuff. I read Batman Secret Files, The Gardener, number one. This is written by James Tynan, art by Christian Ward. Let me tell you. A Christian Ward going places. Uh, letters by Tom Napolitano. I enjoyed this thoroughly. First of all, the Christian Ward artwork is just out of this world. Him drawing Poison Ivy, the gardener, and these plant creatures that kind of hang around. Think of like Harley's hyenas, but plant life. So like little jackals or whatever. And uh, they're really cool. And surprisingly, I thought that this was going to be a little bit more like the Miracle Molly issue where we get the origin and the story and the this and the that for the, the Gardner character. But
but it's very much about Poison Ivy and the Gardener's connection to that character, how they met, what their past is. But it is very much a poison heavy, poison heavy, poison ivy heavy book as opposed to a gardener thing. So if you're going into this thinking that you're going to learn all kinds of things about the gardener and follow her around doing you're no, like you're you're going to get the bits and pieces that have led to poison ivy being in the state that she's in in this fear state story that's been going on for the past couple of months. But Really, really tremendous looking book and well-written. Tynan has had such a great grasp on the Batverse for the last little while, but this is, this is it for him apparently uh, until the foreseeable future. I'll get to that more in a little bit. Uh, Really quick, just Nightwing number 86, Tom Taylor again, Robbie Rodriguez killing it on the art. So good. Uh, Adriano Lucas on colors and letters by Wes Abbott. This book has so many incredible superhero poses, just pages of characters looking so badass. Like I almost couldn't handle it at one point. It was like page after page of like, oh, this looks so cool. Oh, they look so awesome. The bad family at one point in this story get a hold of a couple of the peacemakers and, you know, take them out or whatever, but they steal their gear. And so they're all armored up when they're going into this kind of the final leg of this fear state situation. And just everybody looks so friggin' cool. And uh, I really, really love the banter and the, the character chemistry between all the family members. They really do feel like a found family. They all have these like special relationships with one another, the way they speak to, to each other it's just really, really good stuff. Uh, and last but not least, and then I actually want to talk about last night for a little bit, but uh, Batman 117. This was Tynan's last proper uh, core title Batman book. Uh, this is James Tynan, George Jimenez. Holy crap. Uh, sorry, Timo Moray and uh, Clayton Cowles on letters. George Jimenez. Just been knocking it out of the park with Batman uh, every time. What's that? Yeah, he has very much. So yeah. Yeah. Every time he's on, he's on the book, it really looks outstanding. But this issue, this issue was just ridiculous. It looks so good. I loved every page of it. I love the way he draws these characters. The action was so kinetic and, bringing you from panel to panel with like fists and words. And it was just wild. I loved it. I really, the fear state stuff really, really turned out to be a solid story. It's probably the first Batman thing that even though I have most of it, I'm very much looking forward to them releasing some kind of like hardback copy with all of the corresponding stories in it. Uh, I would totally buy that collection and, and read this again. It was all very, very, very cool. Uh, And it has me thinking that I might go back and pick up some of the missing issues of Catwoman and Harley Quinn that uh, I dropped off of those because my pull list was getting too out of control. But uh, I might see if there's a sale going on or two in the next week or whatever and uh, pick those up and, and see what their contributions to the story was outside of the main book. Uh, Cause it was cool. It was very, very successful read for me. 
And then, <laughs> and then, so last night was really, really special. We had tickets to go and see. I want to make sure that I get this uh, this name right for this artist. Uh, we saw Caribou at the London Music Hall here in uh, London, Ontario, and it was Cara Caroless Coverdale was the the opener. Kind of this like ambient, atmospheric, uh, like lots of like whooshing noises, almost hymnal in a way, and uh, related to David. Really, what's that related to David Coverdale? <laughs> <laughs> Probably, I don't know who that is. Oh, well, Lead singer know. of Whitesnake? It was in Deep I Purple in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay. Nope. This is where it becomes an us versus a them, Bob. Uh, yeah. Hus- husband of Tony Katane, <laughs> those videos on the Jaguar and all that stuff from the late 80s. I don't know that I've ever heard a song by Whitesnake. Or in if the, I in have, the still I... of the night, here I go again, that's Whitesnake. That's David Oh, Coverdale. the here I go again on my own? That's yeah. David Coverdale. Okay. He's the vocalist. Okay. All right. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Maybe a, it's just such an odd last name. So yeah, <laughs> I mean it could it could be. I have no idea. That's a that's an interesting. You raise an interesting question, Bob. Uh, she was great. She was uh, she was a, a, a fitting opener for Caribou, who came out and just killed that room. Oh my <laughs> god, they were so good. This is the first show that we've seen to the day. Two years ago, uh, same venue, um, except the upstairs portion, a uh, smaller part of the venue that we were at to go and see Black Mountain when my friend Rachel was in town. And so it had been two years since I've seen a live show. And anybody that listens to the show or knows me knows that I need live music in my life. Like I've, if I miss people and everything, but the live music thing was really killing me. And so we've got... Tickets to a couple of things coming up over the next few weeks. Some things have been delayed, which is perfectly fine. Our uh, Rage Against the Machine show was postponed with Run the Jewels. Uh, our Purity Ring show has been moved to May, so that's that's a ways off. But um, we went with our friends Brad and Colleen, Bronwyn and I, and it just felt so good to be back in that atmosphere. And I was really, really impressed by – not only the venue itself in in the way that they were handling the the covid stuff but everybody inside was really respectful and people were still wearing their masks when they were indoors like if you weren't actively having a drink people's masks were on and everybody managed to with the exception of like right down and on the floor right next to the stage but we were kind of sitting farther back and we actually managed to grab a table right behind the soundboard so we had like a clear view of the show the entire time and all the all the tables were spaced out all 6 feet apart people were you know kind of in their own little pockets and so we felt completely safe the entire time that we were there uh the one mistake that i made though was that i started to have some drinks uh-huh. and and I don't, I don't drink that often or that much because I, I actually don't really like being drunk. I don't like the sensation of it. And um, also with all of my stomach issues and heart issues and everything, drinking is really not the best idea for me. I got very carried away 
because I was just having such a good time. Good for this you. This is a very dis- good for you. Yeah, yeah. No, everybody's allowed one of yeah. those nights every now and again. Pop this COVID cherry. <laughs> I just um like Caribou is a very nostalgic band for me in that I went to there's this uh, touring concert company that used to be around in the UK called All Tomorrow's Parties. And they threw them in New York for five years in a row. And I went all five years. And the, the first year that I went, I was invited at like the last minute. I had like two days to get ready to go. Uh, my father had just passed mm-hmm. away like three weeks before that. And my friend Chris really wanted me to get out of my own head. And he's like, come with us. We bought you a ticket. All you need to do is get in the car and have a good time. And I went with them. And that weekend was like a musical revelation for me. I was reborn as somebody who listens to and appreciates music. I was exposed to so many new and amazing bands and people and this really awesome culture that was built around this this show, this like weekend long thing. And Caribou was one of the bands that we saw in those years that All Tomorrow's Parties was happening. And so last night's show was like, 10 years to the day that I had seen them for the first time. And so this band is just attached to like some of my greatest friends and some of some, some of these people that I experienced these couple of years with that we went to shows like three and four days a week in and out of New York all the time going to, you know, Williamsburg music hall or the knitting factory or back in the day, like Coney Island high before it was closed or whatever. And, um, so to be there last night and to be back with this band and have, you know, my wife Bronwyn there and then Brad and Colleen, who'd never really heard them before, I got very uh, caught up in it because this is my new life. And like, and these, these are the new people in my life. And I'm sharing this, this band with them that is very special to me. And I just was like a flood of emotions thinking about all of my other friends who are back home in the States and everything like that. And the set list was just insane. They, they, they sounded incredible, great venue and ridiculous light show. Oh my God. I thought that I was going to have a seizure. It was so good though. They had like a screen backdrop with all these crazy patterns being projected onto it. Uh, Lots of lasers and everything. And just really, really, really impressive. I had a couple of drinks while we were there. And then I thought we were going home, mm. but it turns out that we were going to a restaurant and there were more drinks. And I switched from beer to liquor at that point. Uh, I had a Manhattan, which I'd never had before. <laughs> oh, no. So liquor I had before beer in the clear. <laughs> beer, yeah. liquor, never sicker. sicker. Exactly. That's how that works. So. I had that, and then I had uh, the shots started to come out. Oh, for God! Oh, and I, I can't remember what it was called, but uh, there was clear. one. No, there was one shot. There was one, one shot. shot that uh, tasted like cough syrup, like 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 Robitussin. Was that sambuca or something like that? No, no, it wasn't. I can't stand sambuca. I don't like licorice flavored things. Um, this this shot just did me in and I'm like, okay, 
like you gotta you gotta chill because this is this is not gonna end well for you. Was it Nyquil? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Maybe but then we like we made friends Wrong with our long? server. Her oh. name was uh was Sonia, and I was like, oh, like Red Sonia. And she's like, yes, exactly. Um, she was just great, and ended up basically buying us drinks and putting them on the table. And it was more shots. Was she wearing <laughs> some kind of metal bikini or something? Or? No, no. No, she was, she was dressed in that. Once Steve got enough drinks in him, she probably looked that way. <laughs> uh, no. I, uh, I I had a great time. I just, I'm paying for it today. Um, I don't have a headache, surprisingly. But... Um, Patience, young Padawan. Patience. I, I, I feel like shit. Shit. So, Steve, did you do the walk of shame? Uh, no. Mm. You just feel dirty, don't you? Mm. I took a. Sh- the first thing I did when I woke up today was take a shower. That's not what I mean. But anyway, we can move. On to yeah, no, that's my. That's my. Those are my lightning rounds. I'm sorry that I didn't really have a uh, too much pulled together for this episode. I apologize. I just. I, I, I can barely get myself. You're lucky I'm here. <laughs> All that matters is you had a good time. I know you had an anxiety about going out and being in spaces. So it's I'm, I was happy. To I had you. I had the best time. And it was cool that it was only 15 minutes away. Because if if we were uncomfortable or if we found that like it wasn't up to – I don't want to say our standards. That sounds dickish. But like if we were uncomfortable, we could have just left. We could have just gone out to dinner, the four of us, and then go home because it's 15 minutes away. So it was a really nice way to kind of recut our teeth on going into live shows. And I'm excited to go and see these other ones that we have tickets for in March. Hopefully things will be even better by then. Uh, and I managed to convince my friend Brad to buy a ticket for uh, Deaf Heaven and Holy Fawn in March because I was going to that by myself. Uh, but now he's going with me because I, I I basically guilted him into it. <laughs> so. yeah, March March should be the end of the eighth wave. Yeah. <laughs> Probably it should be fine. Should be just between the eighth and the ninth wave. So we should be okay. <laughs> yeah, we've got wave. two shows that week. We've got the the Deaf Heaven show on Friday, and then Manchester Orchestra on Tuesday, both in Toronto. So that's going to be a lot of car time. <clears throat> Sounds like the venue did the, all the right things. Mm-hmm. That's they really did. I'll say this though, and maybe this is just like an in the states thing. No, like security. No, no pat down. No, um, like anybody checking you out or or anything to make sure you don't have any weapons or any drugs or anything like that. I mean, what are you going to do at a a concert? You're going to smoke weed. That's legal here now. But um. I was like, we just walked right in, and it was like, okay. Anyway, I th- yes. it's that struck me as odd. Yeah, that's not happening here, especially after the events of this past week. But we won't get political today. No, we no. will move on. Um, yeah. Superman, son of Kal-El. Yeah, Tom Taylor between Seven Secrets and Superman, son of Kal-El. I, I feel like he can't do anything more. Oh yeah, get ready. Get ready for for him to be nominated for end of the year awards it's for sure. Ridiculous. When I was watching when I after the end of the last issue, I was like, "Hmm, this is very a la All-Star Superman with this whole hypercharging his uh his cells and all that stuff." I like that. I I see what's happening, I think anyway. Um they're they're really setting up the foundation for his 
I want to say Rose Gallery, but his sort of sphere of influence. I, I think this Bendix guy, or not Bendix, yeah, Bendix guy is supposed to be his version of Lex Luthor. and Pretty much, um, yeah. Yeah, and he's got to have his grounding um, family, if you want to call it that. And that's where Jay comes in, and I think those other two characters are going to uh, be a part of that. It's almost like starting his own version of the Justice League to some degree. I really like it. It's just very sweet. And that moment, it, as much as it got so much press, that moment was just very sweet. And in my opinion, I agree with you, Steve, was not the centerpiece of the book. It was no. not the, the, it wasn't the shock value thing in the book. It, not according to Dean Cain. Well, you know, <laughs> like we said, he can eat a bag of, you know. <laughs> anyway, but, um, he can share it with Ricky Schroeder. But, he, can, he can join Peacemaker on the Island of Dicks. Basically, the Island of Dicks. Exactly. Eat them all. But um, so, but I, I really, I, I am just enjoying this book from, from issue one. I've just really been enjoying this book, and I'm really glad it exists. Because, again, I, I go back and forth with Clark Kent Superman because yeah. it depends on who's writing it. it. It sometimes clicks with me, and it sometimes doesn't. So I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with this book. I was not prepared to love this book as much as I do. I, I really, really have just fallen in love with it and, and fallen in love with Tom Taylor's portrayal of this character. I, 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 he's earning, he's earning the S if you will. Mm-hmm. And they've been doing like every, every issue has been giving me like more and more reasons to love it, but I love that it's staying true to the character, him going around, saving all of those people and even making some mistakes along the way, you know, somebody, I mean, it's not too bad, but somebody does get hurt at mm-hmm. one point because his powers are out of control and he kind of doesn't know his own strength. And so he needs to learn restraint and he needs to, you know, learn to control his powers because he's got a lot of responsibility with those things. I, I always fall for the kind of hero coming into their own. I I like being on the ground floor of things like miles and Ms. Marvel characters like that, where you can watch them really come into their own. And that's what this feels like to me. And it just feels good good you know it leaves me feeling warm and gooey by the time that i'm i'm done reading it and that moment at the end was just very very sweet and i loved it i loved it i do feel as though this story was more than the kiss in the sense that i think this was an experiment that bendix was playing and and i think we learned a little bit of why jay mentioned it it says it looks like yeah john's powers can boost up and be strong as strong or stronger than Superman, but it seems like they burn out faster. Right. They have a a bigger effect. I think that was the intent of the the whole thing. I think we probably will see a little bit of why that happened in future issues, but yeah. Um, Nightwing 86. I haven't read Nightwing, but every time I see artwork for Nightwing, I swear it's a thirst trap. What is going on with that book? Yo, Nightwing (laughs) is hot. It has been for the last little while. That creative team is doing such tremendous things with this book. Um, but yeah, like like you said, or like I said earlier, there's so many incredible superhero posing going on in this issue. And when they steal that armor, they all look so cool. Uh, what's her face? Um, spoiler is having a uh, absolutely tremendous time. She says, I want to state for the record, what record, that more of our plans should include jetpacks. 
<laughs> it's yeah, pretty I awesome. Might, I might have to look into that. You guys have been talking about it for quite a while. And oh, it's 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 fantastic. The ca- the Cascade design in this issue in particular, in this run really, uh, is outstanding. I can't wait for that Batgirls yeah. series to get going in December. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, lovely previews in some of the DC mm-hmm. books this week. Yep. Yeah, they've put in pretty much every single DC book, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to see them yeah. really pushing hard for that book because those, those types of team books or, you know, female-fronted books don't always get the attention that they deserve. But those little stories, those little lead-ins have been in the backs of lots of DC books, mm-hmm. and, and I'm, I'm really glad to see that. I just want to throw out there that our friend of the podcast, Professor Dr. Carolyn Coca eisner winner, <laughs> And I were sitting at a pub in Smithtown nine years ago, and she postulated they should do a Batgirl series with Steph Cass, and and we should have Barbara involved, and she could run the whole thing. And yeah, Uh, I remember someone's listening. Yes, we did. We did. Yeah, we did not copyright that or anything, sadly. But you know. (laughs) So, we got any other comments or questions about any of the books on Steve's list? Well, one thing about his concert, I am so thrilled you got to do that. And that it turned out all the way you wanted, despite having one too many green drinks. <laughs> I was just so glad to share that with everybody. You know, it's uh, it's one of those full circle yeah. moments. And I, I was like, I was kind of in a weird funk, like right up until maybe five minutes before they came out. But it, it, it hit me. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like yeah. Caribou's coming out, and they're just gonna blow the roof off of this place. Bronwyn had a blast. I was so glad that she was up for going because uh, she has very lots of like photosensitivity uh, at shows, and it's it's really hard for her to kind of be in those light shows for as long as as they are. And once like they started playing, and I saw how uh, wild they were gonna get with that sort of thing, I was like, oh no. But um, you just shut your eyes for a little while, and, and you're all right. But yeah, if, if nobody's ever out there, if you've never listened to Caribou, uh, I highly recommend the albums Swim and Suddenly are both really, really, really good. What seems really special is, as with all sorts of media, introducing new people to something you love and having them react to it in the way you, you hope is really yeah. something special. Yeah, Colleen is... Um, not a music person per se. She loves to go to shows though, but she, she had never heard of them. She'd never anything. She went in completely blind. And and my friend Brad had practically never listened to them. He walked out of there with all of their records because he just, he loved it so much. And they, they really did just put on such a great show. It's probably the sixth time that I've seen them. And I, I love it when, bands that you've been seeing for you know the better part of at least a decade not and and more are still they still got it mm-hmm. you know and and their 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 new songs sounded great they had a bunch of remixes and additional instruments for certain things they brought out uh two drum sets and just started battling in the middle of the of the song it was it was just amazing I loved it. That's so much fun. All right. I'm going to shut up now. Yeah. yeah. I have stories along this vein for some other day. Let's move on, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, David, yes. 
D money. I am speaking here. Yes. I'm going to give uh, you a choice. I'm going to give you a choice. Hold on. I'm going to give you a choice. Do you you want to go next or do you want me to go next? Do you want to go last to close out this whole thing with a bang? How do you want to do it? I'm I'm, I'm fine with anything at all. I'm just so happy to be here. I can't believe my my luck. So whatever. All right. Well, you can go next then. <laughs> Shazadam. Shazadam. Right, okay. So I'm not used to doing these, these little reviews. So I hope I'll do as well as you guys do. So um, I picked up um, a series called The Nice House on the Lake. Yes. Uh, you, uh, hopefully you haven't talked about it already, but maybe you have. Uh, the reason why I picked it up is because I quite like the artist, uh, Alvaro Martinez. Uh, I loved what he did uh, when they did the rebirth of uh, Detective Comics and when they when he did some work on um, Justice League Dark, I think it was. And I was actually quite surprised by his uh, style of, uh, of, of art there because he doesn't draw anything like what he did on Detective Comics and, and, and the rest. It seems to be much more laid back and more like kind of sketchy. Um, and uh, James uh, James Tinian is doing the, um, uh, the the story, so he's been all over the place. This guy doing so many different stories. What was interesting is that it's within the uh, DC Black Label, which is kind of like the new Vertigo in a way uh, on some of the titles. And the story is absolutely brilliant. Uh, I actually picked it up for the for the for, for the show because I had it, but I had not read it, and I read it this afternoon. And I, I couldn't believe that I did not re- read it before. Uh, it's kind of a end of the world stories where uh, 10 people end up on a house on a lake. And uh, we discover step by step that they, they know each other and they all know a common person called Walter. And this kind of guy, Walter, is, um, uh, is a very interesting guy. He's friendly with all of them and he's giving them... Uh, a rendezvous on this house of the lake and once they're there they realize that the world is actually ending for real um, many many cities around the world are burning and people are dying all over the place and they are stuck in this house uh, and it seems to be like they're stuck there forever so this is how the, the story starts so obviously we're only on issue six so it's only starting to unfold now but it's a very very pleasant surprise um it's a it's a very slow story and there's a lot of discoveries uh, as we as we go through and it's uh, it's kind of a horror story uh, it's, mm. it's more horror than science fiction to be honest uh, I'm at the point so towards the end I don't know if I should spoil or not spoil it. Mm, yeah I don't spoil. I wouldn't spoil anything I wouldn't spoil it okay let's not, let's not spoil it but it's it's interesting it's uh, it's set in this house they cannot get out uh, there's a perimeter with uh, some kind of uh, artificial invisible fence that they can't go through so and they have to figure out what they're going to do um today can they can they go out to see if the world is really ending or not ending and what happens when you put 10 people together in a a house as nice as the house is and you tell them that you can never go away Uh, obviously tensions build up uh, resentment and secrets and all that sort of things that that make for very good reading so uh, I really enjoyed that one. Um, the other thing I read, uh, completely different, obviously, is a uh, Savage Dragon, or Savage Dragon. Never know how you say it. And the reason why I picked that up is because um, I've always really enjoyed this comic, but it's I don't really know where it's going. To be honest with you, and the thing with Eric Larson is he does great Kirby style uh, artwork with uh, gigantic fight scenes and and so on, but he seemed to be 
kind of stuck into this never-ending rotation of characters that seem to come back again and again, or they come from parallel universe and so on. It's a bit like uh, those old uh, soap operas, like The Bold and the Beautiful or something. <laughs> where it's like, it feels like we've seen these characters for the last 30 years. Um, and I don't know why he doesn't open up to having other writers or having some more input because um, the only thing he's done recently to try and shake things up is go uh, a bit a bit more sexual with the characters. Um, and the, um, the, the tone of the book has completely changed from being just a, a fighting book to being a book almost for adults where all kind of things is going on. Hmm. Um, but um, I wanted to see what, what was happening. I had not read for, for many issues. But it seems to be going around a bit in circle. Um, I also picked up Defenders from Marvel, the new series. Uh, I think there's only about three issues out at the moment. And I, I purely picked it up on, on the back of the artwork because I absolutely love the artwork. Um, it's uh, Javier Rodriguez, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, it's interesting because... It's very much uh, concentrated on Doctor Strange, and it's 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 a wild ride because they go um, in different places of the universe. They even meet uh, Galactus's mother. Yes, yes, uh, we love this book. <laughs> which is like what? What? Um, and there's characters I didn't know about. I didn't know Cloud. He's kind of weird, sentient nebula character. Uh, I've never heard of this character before. Um, obviously we have um, Betty Ross uh, coming back as uh, the Red Harpy and the Silver Surfer so it's 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 completely crazy um, visually it's crazy and the story, I don't really know where the story is going they keep on going back and forth in time uh, trying to chase this guy who apparently can uh, can use time magic and could completely change the universe so they want to stop him uh, he's part of what was called the Enclave, I think they're they're the creators of Adam Warlock or something. That's them. At some yep. point. Yep, you got it. Yeah, it's them. Yeah. I got it. Ooh, yep. right. Um so so that was that was quite good. Um I picked up Shazam uh, number four. I'm very frustrated with Shazam uh, as a character. And this is why I wanted to 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 pick up an issue of Shazam because I I don't read very often because I think it's a character that's got tons of potential. Um, and it's always really badly used. Um, and when I read this issue four, I was a bit disappointed because they keep on explaining all kind of things about the rock of eternity and how oh, this power and this and that. And it becomes when they try to explain too much, it's almost as if they have nothing to say, and they <laughs> they rely on uh, they rely on technicalities. Like uh, it's a bit like watching a, a movie with uh, magicians or something where they try to explain how magic works. It's like I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want you to explain. I'll just, just show me magic, and I'll, I'll I'll figure it out by myself. And um, Shazam is um, is one of the characters that he should be. He should be in the Justice League. He should be one of the main DC characters. He should be as high up as you know Superman, Wonder Woman, and the rest. And he always falls short because they keep on treating him like a kid with uh, adult powers instead of, I don't know, making him a, a proper hero that can use the wisdom of Solomon or all the, the, the powers. Amen, David. Amen. Mm-hmm. No, but it's, 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 it's annoying because he should be an adult and he has powers and he's always like he's a kid stuck into an adult um, body. And that yeah, that doesn't mean for me. He never did it for me. That's not the way the character was created. Not not to jump in on this sort of comic book archaeology, but it's they were separate beings. 
Mm-hmm. They were, and uh, at one point he was outselling Superman. Everybody knows that yes. now. He was like the number one comic, and and now he's just some kind of uh, I don't know, some kind of pale version of a Superman mixed with something else. He's uh, a little bit disappointing. Yeah. And the last book I read, um, and it's an old one that I had in my uh, read pile for a very long time. It's a showcase, the Showcase Collection in black and white that DC put out uh, a few years ago. And it's a showcase presents The Elongated Man. And the reason why I wanted to read this is because I'm a big fan of The Elongated Man. And I don't like the way it's been portrayed in the Flash uh, series. Um, and I don't like the way it's been portrayed in, in the last few years. And I think they're desperately trying to make him a... Um, a watered-down version of Plastic Man, and everybody's criticizing the elongated man because unlike Plastic Man, he can't take any shape he wants, and blah de blah and blah de blah. And I actually think that the elongated man is a much more interesting character than Plastic Man is. I've, I've never been a fan of Plastic Man. I think he's a clown. But um, if you read those old showcase um, stories, it's really well crafted. Uh, it's detective work, mm. and what we tend to forget is that Ralph Deepney was. A detective, and some say he was the second best detective after Batman. And um, and I also like the way in the early days they would show his powers because he doesn't just stretch in these uh, issues. He's using them in very clever ways. And you see him fighting people and extending just his knuckles or extending his kneecaps, like really weird stuff, like he's extending his ear. Uh, to go down a chimney and listen to a conversation, all kind of things we don't see anymore. Now, every time we see the elongated man, he's only extending his neck, um, which is a little bit silly. And there's also a lot of um, uh, things about his relationship with uh, with Sue, with Sue Dibney. Uh, and I never really liked that she got killed in um, Identity Crisis. Um uh, that was a very difficult read for me because I like those characters. And uh, when she got killed, I was really, really upset for a long time. Uh, I don't know whether she's back or not now, actually. I don't know whether she's been retconned or, or brought back. Um, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. I don't recall seeing her of late. No, I, I don't think so either. No, I'm not. No. I mean, he was seen last um, as part of, um, um, what was it called? Um, the Secret Six, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Simone's run. Yes. Yeah, uh, I think he was back as a as a big guy. In turns out that he was uh, rough, rough. He had a neat new costume in yellow and orange or something, something a bit a bit weird. Uh, but I really enjoyed this showcase present because uh, it was great artwork from um, uh, from from many guys like um, what's his name. Uh, I'm trying to find his name. Carmine um, Infantino, I guess. At a certain level. That's these, the one. Uh, these, are the John, these are the John Boom stories, right? From way back. Yeah. 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 And uh, they were actually a, a really good run. Um, so that that's my uh, that's my run. <laughs> you, would have made, you would have made the five minutes if we didn't interrupt. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna, I want to jump in right away on this elongated man. Those backup stories. Uh, he, sometimes he'd fill in for the flash that, that Broom and Infantino and those other people yeah. did. There was so much fun. And as you say, he was such a great detective and quirky, weird little stories. You, you, you loved Ralph and Ralph and Sue together. Just that was silver age stuff at its finest. Absolutely. 
love that there's something that. really strange going on with um, with with couples whether it's DC comics or, or Marvel comics is they, they tend to every time you had um, um, a long history of couples um, together they tend to destroy them I mean you look at Elongated Man and Sudibni obviously but you look at Ray Palmer and um, Gene Loring and Gene Loring uh, and she became completely you know crazy and she kills who and, and, and so on and there's always things going on, and and it's it's interesting when you look at uh, we we don't have many models of long lasting couples anymore uh, these days uh, outside of uh, Lois Lane and uh, and then Clark Kent. Right, it's Reed and Sue. Uh, it's Luke and Jessica. I guess is now fifteen or so years in, but for the most part, yes. And let's let's split them up. Let's make a point by splitting them up. Yeah, I mean, even even Hal Jordan, um, you know, with Star Sapphire yes, and everything, yes. he worked out. And then uh, recently they've re-put uh, Black Canary and, and Green Arrow together. But for a long time, it was kind of, you know, not together anymore yeah. and so on. And um, even now there's Trouble in Paradise with those two teams. Really? Yeah. They just started up again. Bit, a little bit. It, it was sort of hinted, you know, because of the, well, I don't know spoilers his uh relationship with checkmate but there's a little bit of tension between the that'll two of them it. right now that'll do it well we, we did get to see kelly sue DeConnick put uh, arthur and mera back together in aqua her aquaman run mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's true i forgot about that i still think mera is a she needs to have a book of her own oh absolutely so yeah you literally preached to my choir with regards to shazam right? they've heard me say that so many times. That's partially why I have yet to see the movie because I don't understand this idea of putting a kid in a grown. How do you? How do you have the wisdom of Solomon if you're, you have the brain of a twelve year old kid? I don't yeah, and want to have people buy beer for you or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. The whole idea of it just sort of falls flat. But but he, he never he, he never really uses his powers. I mean, you look Shazam. There's like a six a six letters, so it's six you know different mm-hmm. powers, and all he's using is his strength really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you never really see him use super speed, even though he's got this the speed of um, Her- Hermes, I think. Uh, you, you don't use you don't see him use any powers whatsoever. He's just a, a strong guy, and and they completely miss out on all those letters and all these 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 powers that he could uh, he could be using. What hasn't been explained to me, at least to my liking, because I've been reading the new Justice League, I still don't understand why Black Adam. Is, I mean, I understand from marketing, so don't come at me. But um, why Black Adam is there and not Shazam? It's almost like he's not on the the board anymore for things like the justice league and it doesn't make sense to me it hasn't been explained in the, in the book either because they're trying to 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 put this kind of an edgy character um and, and shazam is 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 too good he's mr goody goody so you've already got superman if you have shazam it's like oh you know everybody's going to be bored kind of thing that's very strange. and that, so that's they're, a they're, shame because as you as you point out to me he outsold superman when he was new he was selling Captain Marvel in those era was selling three to five million copies a month, mm-hmm. which is why DC sued Fawcett to get him off the page. But it's, exactly. a, it's a great character that everyone could relate to. When you're kids, we all want to be grown up. We don't want to be kids acting like us. We want to be grown up suddenly. And here was a way to do that. And a smart character, a powerful character, wonderful supporting cast, and the last time it was done well was probably Jerry Ordway 30 years ago. And that's too bad. Mm. That's really too bad. Mm. Such a wonderful creation. 
And I think Mary Marvel is going to get uh, a series very soon from what I've heard. I um, saw that. I'm willing to try that. Yeah. And that should be interesting as well because she's, I mean, she was always kind of neglected as well. But if they somehow do with her what they should have done with him, uh, that could be interesting. That would be interesting if that's a more engaging character than actually than Shazam himself. Uh, I find a lot of the female characters more engaging than the male characters because they're, they're a new take and writers want to embrace that. And so maybe here's, here's a way to do it. Speaking of new takes, I, I have to wax rhapsodic about defenders. I so love this book. It is so out there in art and story and plot. I don't know where it's going either, but I'm having a great time writing along. That's one of those books that I have to read and just say, you know what? You're not going to understand about 30, 40 of it. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Just keep reading and get to the end and see what comes of it. So, And visually, visually it's a great book. I mean, it's uh, it's completely crazy. The, uh, it reminds me a bit of um, um, another artist called Echo. Or Echo I don't yes, know how you say it. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's the same sort of like a layout on the page where you've got a million details and it's all hanging out, you know, upside down and all sorts of things and... And, and that's great. Um, and it's actually what, um, going back to Alvaro Martinez that I was talking about with uh, Nice House on the Lake, when he was doing uh, Justice League Dark, he would do this kind of uh, of layout of pages where it would be completely crazy, where you'd have uh, uh, characters fighting and it'd be like a, almost like a 3D uh, a fight, and he would do great layouts. Um, ah, the good old days. Yep. Yes. <laughs> any other thoughts or comments about any of David's books? Sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in. We've all loved Nice House on the Lake so far, though not all of us have gotten all the way through it because I'm pretty sure it's coming up in our best of end of the year, so we'll have to reread them all then. Anyway, mm-hmm. David, do you find this to be, because uh, I'm sure you've read Poe's Mask of the Red Death, sort of a apocalyptic version of that? Uh, no, I've not read it. <laughs> Sorry. Well, a, 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 a baron invites a whole bunch of people to his house while the world is dying of the Red Death Plague outside his doors. Mm, yeah, it's pretty much, it's, 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 a, it's a new take on it. Uh, it's kind of a modern take yeah. on it. Uh, uh, what's interesting is the background it gives to every every character step by step. So because you you start with having those ten people in a room, and then you you discover them. Each each new issue is about one character in particular, so you slowly discover them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a bit what they what they do with uh, Watchmen and all that, where like you, know, you had a, a few story arc purely on a character, and then you yeah. sort of you know, gels back together towards the end. Yeah, looking forward to the full read. I've only done the first two. So mm-hmm. I'm I I know hearing Steve nod over the the microphone before <laughs> yes uh-huh. yes <laughs> yeah. yeah six is going to be it for a while they're taking a pretty extensive hiatus oh. on the book for the what? next couple of months yeah it's uh six is is it for at least I think six months so it's gonna be it's gonna be a while I think that that was for uh Tynan's transition to. Um, I can't even remember what the hell it's called. Substack. Yes. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm not gonna I'm let's not gonna speculate sub- about yeah, what the reasons yeah. are. I don't really know. Um, I probably shouldn't say anything. It's just it's going away for a while. Uh, but when it comes back, I will be right there with open arms. It is it is outstanding. The structuring, 
the art, everything, every the the way that that book is laid out and how it tells a story through its art is nothing short of of incredible. It really makes you feel like you're there with those characters and and presents the information for the story in a bunch of different ways. Like you're reading text message conversations and uh, dot matrix printouts and stuff of, of conversations that people thought they were having in private, but were not. Um, and once, you know, certain characters hear those conversations, it's going to throw a wrench into the works. And what happens when you start turning on each other? It's a, uh, it's a really, really, really good book. I have a and I think the, the, the art itself is very cinematic, and this is what really drew, drew me to the book. Uh, yes. I mean, the, the artwork is great, but you have those those uh, double pages spreads where you just see the inside of the living room or something, and the, the just the architecture and everything. You say, "Wow, you know, the guy really can really draw, uh, you know, uh, in, inside the house and all the details and everything." And it's, it's so, f- in in a way, reminding me of. Very old comics, like you know, the Authority or everything, when we sort of discovered you know double page spreads with a whole city or something or a whole. Yeah, I would uh, love to see like a blue, like a blueprint for the for the house on uh, the lake. Yeah. I would just, I I almost want. I want that two page spread. Yes, yes. I kind of want to talk to my brother in law and ask him like as a gift if he could read this series and maybe sketch it out for me or something. What a great piece of art he, to hang on your wall, right? Well, he does that yeah. stuff and I I've seen his work and it's incredible and this house is so elaborate and there are so many little pockets in it and hidden rooms and it all serves the story. It, it's really really good stuff. It's it's just ready to be to be filmed. You know, in yes. a way, it's like uh, they, they could easily do a Netflix series or whatever, and they, they yeah. just need to copy what's on the page because it's so cinematic in the I way would, it's, been, it's been put together. I would not be surprised if by the time that this comes back from its hiatus, if it's been announced that it's it's going to television because it's it would translate perfectly. Yes. Mm, I think so. Yeah. I have a feeling that nice house on the lake for me is going to be similar to once in future for me last year during the, uh, the year end, because I had, I had not read a single line of once in future. Now I can't yeah. down, but uh. <laughs> yeah, you're way ahead of me. Aaron. You're, you're month to month. I'm, I'm still trade waiting, but I yeah. see that coming. I do see that. Coming. Nice house. Nice house also has very good representation. Uh, across the board of its characters as well. You know, there, there's that element of the story too. Uh, people from lots of different backgrounds being included and having their stories told. And they all have these complicated relationships with one another. Some of them have been together in the past. Some of them have changed since everybody saw them last. Uh, and again, it's all it's all stuff that serves the story that even though, um, like David was saying, you kind of focus on one character per issue you do you do that but you also get little bits and pieces of like the grander story and it's really really uh incredible the way that those individual elements of who these people are fit into the the bigger narrative uh it's just a well executed book i have an interesting overarching thing that is probably nonsense but i'm going to go for it because i do this a lot um, we've had a number of books come out over the last couple of years, uh, where this as far back as the bunker, which may have been three or four years ago. What was the one? Was it, was it the, 
with the cell phones in that house. What was that other book? Was that David Kaposis? The, the Crowded, 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 like that, this or? older stuff, but about um, um, groups of groups of people locked in a place and they got to sort things out themselves. Oh, that was oh, that no. uh, that Juan Doe book. Right, right. That's the one. It was like that. Now, oh, Jesus. Mm, what is the name of that? You can look it up while I while I, while look I, it up right while I espouse nonsense. In the 50s, during the Cold War, there are a number of things like this, whether it's Arch Obler's Five, who had done the radio show Lights Out about the last five people on Earth. There's the day the world ended. There's the House on Haunted Hill with Vincent Price, where... Mm the paranoia and anxiety about what was going on in the world in the 1950s influenced a lot of media stuff. Uh, the world mm-hmm. of flesh and the devil, uh, the movie with Harry Belafonte and, and Ingrid Stevens were the last two people on earth are it's a white woman and a, an African-American man trapped in New York. Is it that our times today are as perilous as they were 50 odd years ago? And then creative people, are tapping into this. How do we deal with each other in this new way of looking at things? What do we think? Am I totally off base? Mm, I, <laughs> I'm thinking about oh, Aaron. it. Oh, Aaron. I'm thinking about it. You know, I'm going to pass. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Um, Oh, I don't know. I see. I don't know. I actually don't know. Anyone else? (laughs) Okay. uh, This happens. This happens a lot around here. I throw out stuff. (laughs) What happens when you're the old guy? I was. I was looking up the the book. I only caught about half, so that's why I'm. I'm kind of sitting over here. Uh, Bad reception. Bad reception. What I was saying, Steve, was was the idea that. These things in the 50s where you, you locked people together into places because of a, an apocalypse outside okay. would force people into conversations that were uncomfortable and odd and scary and weird. And that mm-hmm. now in our perilous times today are creative people tapping into that same sort of paranoia and mindset. Oh, I I would think so. Absolutely. I mean, think about how long, I mean, I know comics take a long time to, from, you know, thinking about them to actually getting them onto the page, but we've been in this pandemic for, it's going to be like coming up on two two years. years. It's a long time to, you know, to have to make new stories. And I definitely think that uh, people are tapping into, that fear and that isolation uh, certainly. And think about like, I mean, in some cases this has been, you know, terrible for people, but having to live with the people that you live, but more so. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, there are, there are certainly, Oh, go ahead, Aaron. Sorry. I'm sorry. I thought you were, I I mean, it's it's, it's also a nice nice trick to explore a relationship much faster because if you use a normal series and you have like a dozen characters and they get on a, they go on about their lives and their work and all that. I mean, you can have those moments where they have conversation and they, they disagree or they, they, they bring up some issues or whatever. Whereas if you start by putting them all in a box and they're locked there and they, they can't do anything else, then obviously you, you fast forward all those conversations and, and it becomes like a, almost like a lab. Um, a petri dish, she, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, pretty much. And then suddenly, uh, within three or four issues, you can have 
as many conversations as you want and, and arguments and this and and secrets coming out and that sort of thing. So it's a way to fast forward the the, the pace and to and and also it's an excuse to push people to the extreme. So when people are locked up, their behaviors change because because of stress, because of fear, because of all sorts of things. So you can go to more extreme conversations as well, which you may not have with people talking in a pub <laughs> or, or, or talking at work. So it's a, a way to to push the boundaries even more and to 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 crank it up and people can be suddenly um, hateful or racist or hopeful or whatever, anything you want really as a writer and can push it to the extreme. Um, so I think it's a, it's kind of a gimmick. I mean, it works, uh, especially today because there's a lot of dystopian future about, you know, the climate change and this new virus that may mutate and there might be COVID-23 or COVID-25 or more. there's all kind of thing going on. So it's, it's, it's in tune with the times. And in the 50s, they were doing that because of the atomic age and they were talking about the atomic bomb or the, the communism, you know, threats or whatever. So they would they would um, consider putting people in bunkers or anything like that to protect them from the world, to protect them from the atomic age and all that. And then you had those situations where people were locked up. So the, the reason why they get locked up today is different from before, but the principle is the same, is if we put everyone in a box, it's almost like when you're a kid and you put like whatever insects together and see what happens. <laughs> so here's here's why I was sort of like waffling on that because my initial response was going to, and this is literally how it happened. My initial response was going to be, I I think we might be on the verge of it, but I don't know if it's there yet because I still feel like there's a formulaic approach to a lot of the plot driving uh in stories today, but then I looked at the list of my lightning round. Yes, like, well, okay, okay. Well, I'm like, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe there's the other side of it. You'll see what I'm talking about. I can't wait when, when you get to my like. So I'm like, uh, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe I'll just go ahead and just pass and defer. Um, but yeah, I do think there are some books, and I think you know, as we can pinpoint some creators who want the status quo to be the status quo and don't want to have those difficult conversations and just want to tell, you know, one dimensional stories, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there are on the other side of that, that, you know, maybe I forgot about when I was going to do my initial response that, you know, we'll talk about a little bit about now. So there you go. My lightning round and we are off. And just as a, aside, Mocha may have opinions because she's circling around me in the background. Hi Mocha. She might chime in at some point. She has very firm opinions about what I read. All right. So I'm really going to go into two universes here. And one universe is really going to tap into another one of our, our listeners. And, you know, I, I, I did what I can. I held off as long as I could, but we'll catch up. First is going to be the Milestone Universe. Static Season 1, Number 4, Vita Ayala, Chris Cross, Nicholas Draper, Ivy. So as we know, the Big Bang, all that stuff, we got the Bang Babies that are, you know, prancing around and we have a government agency that is trying to snatch them all up for their own nefarious reasons. Um, we have them all show up at Virgil's family's house what? Um, and, and yeah, essentially, and, and see if you can see the metaphor here in the company of another Bang Baby who just happens to be a flaming red haired, you know, uh, psychopath protected by the United States government. Remind you of anyone? Um, uh, and they realize that they won't be safe anywhere. They're going to be chased around. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be all under the idea of we just want to make sure that the bang babies are healthy and safe. But really, we know this is some kind of Tuskegee bullshit going on in the background. Yeah. They want to figure out how to utilize them, you know, for their own purposes. Virgil is upset. 
obviously he's hoping and praying that his parents don't fall into this trap and his parents are as smart as they need to be. I really love the way his parents responded to this and basically let them know, listen, understand the history of how our people have been treated in this world and understand why we have no desire and no reason to trust anything you're saying. So please get off my property. Um, and that goes well, but still Virgil realizes that this is never going to be over. He's not going to be safe anywhere. The family wants to send him away so he can be safe. Who is, where is he going to be safe? It's a government agency. So Virgil decides he's going to go on the offensive. Now, remember we said before that this, this universe, this mouse universe is connected. Um, don't necessarily know if it's adjacent to the DC universe because of what they did in a couple of other books, but it is connected. And so, uh, Virgil does have a bag of tech that he got from hardware uh, in a previous mm-hmm. issue um, that I think is going to be very useful. Uh, but fast forward a little bit, and he finds himself in a situation where he's trying to save as many of the Bang Babies who've been snatched as possible. He's assembling his team. Um, some of them he's had a, a shaky relationship with, but they're getting there. They're beginning to understand each other and others who are just sort of uh, supposed to be his, um, what do you want to call it, support morale support, rather, um, who want to get further into the fray. Um, You can see the whole getting the team together scenario starting to fall into place. You can see where he's going to need them. But, you know, he may have bitten off a little bit more than he can chew. And, you know, it's just going to be a little interesting uh, to see how this all plays out because of the parallels that they are drawing from in this book to society in general and the relationship of people of color with the government, with law enforcement, et cetera. It's very clear. I definitely feel as though the milestone folks are saying all the things they probably wanted to say in the 90s, but didn't get the opportunities to say. Mm-hmm. Staying in that universe, Icon of Rockets, season one, number four. Leon Chillis, Andrew Curry, and Brad Anderson. Listen, Rocket needs to chill. <laughs> basically, the two of them, having just sort of rid the world of the drug tr- drug problem and basically turning the uh, world economy on its head, you know, they're persona non grata. They are public enemies uh, from the government perspective, but heroes from the public's perspective. Um, And so they got people on their tail. Um, Not to mention there's an alien going around trying to figure out how to kill him because the government asked him to, and he's just got a grudge. Turns out this alien may be uh, related to one of our favorite characters uh, in the DC universe. Again, this is why I'm not sure how this is, is, is related in that sense, but let's just say he is a manhunter who can, uh, who can shift shapes. Um, in any event, we're, we're not really sure the complete under, the complete relationship there. We definitely see some parallels, but we find ourselves with Rocket's mom needing to be rescued from this, this individual because she's drawn a lot of attention to this. Oh, the secret identity thing is not working out. People pretty much know who she is, and they came straight to her mom's doorstep. Rocket has to show up there with, with Icon and try to save her. There's a new player in town, a woman with a sword with a lot of power and some telekinesis. We don't know who she is. We're going to find out at the end of the book. We see this. But um, again, another assembling the team scenario happening here. What we learn is that Rocket is best intended, but not well trained. And so Mm. when she tries to go and do all the things that she needs to do to save her mother, save innocent bystanders, she basically begins to endanger others around her. She's not quite sure how to use her powers in that sort of setting, in that street level setting. She's very comfortable with using them in the, okay, I'm going to blow up that building in the desert setting. But, you know, when it comes to protecting the innocent while taking down the the assailant, she's not quite there yet. And I think that's where this new character is coming in to train her because there's apparently a bigger plan in place to unite the universe and get Earth ready for that universe. Again, 
the relationships here between law enforcement and people of color and, and the struggle and what's happening in these neighborhoods and how they all need to band together to help each other. But the divisions are very clear. Um, and again, they are not holding back. They are not pulling any punches. And it's very clear what it is they are trying to say. If you're not getting it, you're really not reading the book. So um, I, I will just beg all readers to please go and pick up the Milestone stuff. If you have your DC Universe Infinite, whatever that is that we all subscribe to, it's free there. They, they come up monthly. You have to make sure you check it, though, because you know, unlike us, we will go and buy the issue and realize we could have gotten it for free. But if it's not there for you, then please buy these books because I really definitely want these to stick around. Mm-hmm. All right. Book number three or books number three. There's a few of them. I'm going to do an X-Men review. We haven't done an X-Men review in a while, so I'm going to catch us all up. I'm going to be brief with it. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about each book, but I basically went back and caught up on Excalibur 25, Hellion 17, X-Force 25, Marauders 25, Sword 9, and 10. This is all together, written by Teeny Howard, Marcus Toe, Mahmoud Asrad, Zeb, Zeb Wells, Steven Segovia, Al Ewing, Jacopi Kamanji. Stephanie, I'm sorry, Stefano Caselli, Ben Percy, Robert Gill, Joshua Casera. So let's see if you see a theme happening here. Excalibur. Mutants are being persecuted and expelled from Otherworld by Merlin and Arthur out of fear for the different. Um, And the team is fighting to protect their own. Hellions. The secret anti-mutant organization known as the Right steals Nanny's baby and Orphan Bacon goes into terror because they want to make sure they have a way to destroy the mutants and keep them in their place. X-Force. Folks come to steal mutant babies from Krakoa, and in the end, the, and it may be the end of the road for Quentin and Phoebe, but that's another side story. But again, long story short, someone's coming in to figure out how to, to keep the, ex, the uh, mutants in their place. Sword. The Shi'ar come on a diplomatic envoy. Uh, of course, there's some super secret anti-mutant organization. <laughs> another one that has sent terrorists there to pretty much kill them all and, and make their claim known, their stake, their, their position known storm being storm, you know, comes in and begins to attempt to save the day. We're going to see how that all works out in this issue. Um, and marauders, someone has a grudge against Emma and takes out all the marauders because the team knows their shit. They get it together and rescue each other. The theme. Why would I hate Emma? She's so sweet. Uh, Listen, Emma has turned out to be one of my favorite characters of this new version, but again, uh, her past is her past. You're absolutely right. Um, The bottom line here is all the books are converging on a single point. There are a lot of wars being fought on a lot of, you know, fronts for the X-Men, and I don't know how they're going to be able to hold up against all of them, especially, you know, when they all are supposed to be linked together and they're all supposed to be, you know, uh, you know, a part of a single storyline. I do believe as we've been saying in the past that this is the beginning of the end. My only hope, the beginning of the end for this run, this version of the X-Men, especially with, you know, bringing Moira into the fold and what's the other one. Um, I can't remember her name. Um, the, the wife of uh, the, Oh my God, the shapelifting lady, shapelifting lady. What is your name? The blue uh, uh, Kurt's mother. Mystique. What's your name? Mystique. Thank you, Mystique's wife. Or whatever her name is, <laughs> Destiny. Uh, yes, thank you. With Destiny being brought back into the fold, and Moira being a little bit upset about that, and knowing what role Moira plays in the universe, I, I really have a feeling this is going to be the beginning of the process of untying that all um, and sending them back into another phase. My only hope, like we've said before, is that they don't all end up back in the school. It doesn't become a 
you know, quiet little oh, we're also persecuted. No one understands. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. I please don't do that to us. Please don't take it. Don't give us all. Professor Xavier's a jerk. <laughs> I, I, uh, Cyclops was right. Oh god! <laughs> I just, I, I just don't want that. It would be mean to give us this sort of staking their claim in the world and in the universe. Well, I mean, there. yeah, but I mean, look, they've they've rehashed like Inferno and they've rehashed like everything is coming back. It's like a cycle. So uh, you never know. I'm hoping that they keep parts of it. I, I'm okay with you know maybe them not being the 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 highest on the food chain. I get it. Um, I'm just hoping that they don't reboot everything and then they're like I said back at the school. Um, but you know, it's I I've still have been enjoying the story. Some books, you know, more than other. I think uh, Sword continues to be one of my favorite. There was really a double triple agent situation going on there that I think is going to be fun to see play out. Um, I, I just you know. It's 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 been a fun ride, all doing different things. And again, Excalibur, the book that we never thought we'd all be a part of. I these last couple of issues has really been interesting to me. So I, I'm 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 still on board with that. But I don't know where this is going to go. But I hope it doesn't go away completely. And that is my lightning round. <laughs> Thoughts? Anyone? Anyone? How how does anyone catch up with these X Men books? To to harken back to something we spoke of before, Where, between X of ten they, they of, do, yeah, they should do what they used to do in the Superman books in the nineties. Have like the little triangles with the numbers. Ooh, that they could that, that could help. They do at the back of the book. They do tell you like what's coming next and what sort of the through line. But yeah, it's not a it's not a critical path type scenario there where you could no, you could read it. Not I, when I Hickman's doing his symbols or whatever. <laughs> his whiteboard. Yes, exactly. I I, I don't know how you would catch up. I think it would probably be best just to, if you want to get the the general gist of it all, the the mainline um, X Men book. You know the the that started it. I think that would probably give you the main line, and then if you wanted to pick and choose which ones you wanted to do on the side, they're all supposed to fall back into that. But it depends on where you're wanting to go. But the main line that's book was was I think I think good um, for that hmm. for that sort of for that role for that role of catching you up on what's happening in the world of X Men in this new Krakoa age. So I think I actually think that Pepe Lara's by himself got me back into X-Men because I sort of gave up on X-Men. It was getting a bit too complicated, but his artwork was just so brilliant that um, I I sort of got back into it because of him. I think it is... I'm, I'm just worried. I think it's just... I think it's brilliant what they've done with, I'll be honest with you, just, just what they've done with the X-Men and, and the aftermath of what they tried to do all those years ago, trying to make humans a thing and realizing that no one was really on board with it. No one really cared. You know, they, they tried to do this for all intents and purposes. If we really look at it, what they tried, they did, they succeeded here with the X-Men with what they tried to do with humans. And that is make them a, a, a group of people we care about and make it, clear that yeah we recognize that they're persecuted and they have reached the end of their 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 rope in terms of trying to assimilate or be tolerated it rather they're just saying listen we we have seen nine different times that no matter how we try to assimilate no matter how we try to align with you know homo you know homo sapiens that we are going to be annihilated they're going to wipe us off the face of the earth of the universe so we have to try something new so it's not a scenario where this is just them being mad for power. 
this is a, where, although the, it may come across that way in the little moments, in the little books and episodes. But in the end, if you remember back to the books that launched this, this is about them not wanting to be eliminated from the face of the universe altogether, because no matter what they do, every time Moria would come back, it would end there. So I, I get what's happening here. This is why I'm sort of like, I, I, I want to see where this goes. I hope this doesn't go back to where it was before, because now you're just invalidating everything. So. Any other questions or thoughts about the X-Men or the Milestone universe? I got to get caught up on both. I am so woefully behind in my X-Men stuff. I'm still buying it, too. I need to dedicate some time to that. And uh, Milestone, I want to I wanna get caught up. Have you been um, reading Static Shock? Yes. Static Shock is, in, is a, was my first book. It's the one that I love the most. Okay. That, that right. art is is just crazy it's just i just love it it's it's almost you know it reminds me of when i'm reading it sometimes um spider-man to the spider-verse it kind of gives me that vibe the artwork it's it's just perfectly stated there's a comment there's a there was a photo there was a, i took a photo of one of the pages when i was reading it that was just perfect about you know there's a line where she says something to the effect of we know you're not going to be safe anywhere in this world but you know we're certainly not going to put you out in a scenario where you you're looking for danger. Uh, and I just thought that line was perfectly encapsulated, especially after the events of this past week, but mm. perfectly encapsulating, you know, where we are in this role. This is why I believe that the folks at Milestone are they're they're using this platform for everything it's worth. And I am here for it all. Awesome. Right. Do we know how it's, how it's doing uh, the relaunch? I mean, uh, commercially, is it successful? I haven't, I haven't seen the, um, you know, the uh, top 10 or top 20 or top whatever, but how, how is this relaunch being? Uh... You know what? I have been hesitant. I have multiple times wanted to look it up, but I've been hesitant out of fear. <laughs> Critically, it's doing so, very uh, well. But does yes. that strength yeah, yeah, commercial I mean, uh, success is the problem? Yeah. I, I haven't looked it up. I have multiple times gone to look, and I just honestly, part of me is just like, I don't want that to influence yeah. whether or not I believe the book is going to last. Mm. You know, so it's because I just really love them all so much. I really even, I mean, I'd certainly, I would have to say in order right now, I'm loving Static the most. I kind of rock it uh, again because it sort of brings forward some of the, uh, you know, you, have, you basically have someone who's existed since slavery as a black man and, you know, being brought into present day and what that means and the knowledge he brings. So you have, I think Static is number one because it's a, the viewpoint of a young black man in today's world. Um, and I think uh, hardware is probably number three, but still a very strong book in terms of the messaging and the, the superhero parts as well. I think what you need to hope for is that critical acclaim awards help certainly as well. And enough fan enthusiasm. You look at what happened with Kelly Thompson's black widow, which was due to be canceled after issue number seven. But that people loved it so much, they willed it back into existence. And now it's ongoing with the movie having come out. It'll probably run for at least another year, if not longer. So let's hope for mm. sim- something similar for the Milestone books. Just no- I'm not up to date with, uh, with Milestone. Is the Shadow Cabinet out as well, or is it... Uh- I don't... Not yet. I don't believe it's been launched. I think right now just these three. And I think... Um, mm. Oh, there was a fourth one that was announced, but I can't remember what it is right now. But it's, uh, believe me, I will be talking about it when it comes out. Believe me. Good. Um, all right. Anything else? No, I think that's it. 
Move nope. on to some news. <laughs> Not a whole lot of news. I just thought this story was interesting, um, <laughs> considering how we we felt about the various Superman. Um, this one doesn't have to eat a bag, but you know it's, it's all good. Brandon Roth has asked to star in a Kingdom Come TV series. Uh, Superman Returns and Legends of Tomorrow star Brandon Roth wants to play a man, play the Man of Steel again on a Kingdom Come TV show. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but just a little bit. Frequent superhero Brandon Roth is ready to put back on the cape and tights for a Kingdom Come TV series. The actor spoke to comicbook.com ahead of the Flash's Armageddon event, which will see him return as the Atom. But the last big Arrowverse crossover, Crisis on Infinite Earth, featured Roth reprising the Man of Steel, albeit in a different form than Superman Returns. Uh, inspired by the older Kal-El from the acclaimed comic series, uh, Kingdom Come. Uh, fans quickly embrace the actor once again, wearing the S on his chest, but Roth revealed that he's actually lobbied for an even more accurate take on the character. What do we think about this? Would we want to see a Kingdom Come TV series or a movie, or how would we, how would we feel TV about series. That? TV series. I love that book. It's Mark Wade, Alex Ross from back in that day. When they did the crisis event and they show up at the Daily Planet and there's Brandon Routh, who Superman Returns, has has issues. Maybe it's too beholden to the Christopher Reeve thing, but Routh was very good. And as an older, chastened by life and terrible events in that universe, Clark and Superman, he was really good. I, I'm in. I'm in if there's a Kingdom Come series we'd have older batman older diana you bring in the specter the violent heroes from the 80s and 90s yes please please give me this yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd be down for it i really would i i will keep be honest yeah, i only just read kingdom come a couple years ago hmm. but go ahead david no as a tv series yeah i would agree i, I, I I'd quite happily watch it i don't think it would justify a movie as such i don't think the i think the tv series people can catch up on it and they uh, it's it's easier to get into uh, a movie. Uh, I don't think it would justify it. You're not wrong. I think a HBO Max yeah. situation would would probably do the trick. Steve, mm-hmm. what do you think? Uh, I really don't have much of an opinion on it, to be honest. I uh, I still have that Superman and Lois season one to dig into. I'm looking forward to that. So maybe oh, that's that good, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things, and maybe maybe once I I crack that open, it'll put me on the path. But um, I don't know. I, is this a CW thing? Well, no. He's 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 saying that he's been lobbying for a show like. Oh, this he's okay. He wants to make it happen. Um, ever since he did his little uh, turn as Superman on the uh, right. Flash event, uh, but I, I I would be down for it. I really would. I think yeah, it would justify I mean, him being older. I'm I'm. I'm in a position where it doesn't matter to me whether they make it or not, but if they're going to, then have at it. Um, he's certainly, you know, got the passion for it, which is which is great. And uh, sure, I'm sure that would make a lot of people really happy. So if they can get it together, I say do it. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Yeah, <laughs> as the TC seal of approval. I'm alone. So who do we cast as slightly older Batman and slightly older Diana? Adri- Adrian Palicki, mm. she would got one chance to play Wonder Woman. She could again. <laughs> I think she's <laughs> run for the hills from that Wonder Woman role. I don't. I don't know. If she's I think she's back. back to doing the Orville again. Okay. And uh, and uh, another. She's got another project coming up as well. Uh, her name has been in the news quite a bit lately. Hmm. I don't know who I would want to play Batman, an older Batman. Yeah, oh, that's she's interesting. Cool. I like I like Adrian Palicki. Oh. 
Yeah. Oh, Matt Smith. There we go. Anyway. Um, anywho, that's what we got going on for the news. Like we said, not a whole lot in the news world. I got a story. I told you I got oh, a story. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. I'm sorry. Look Steve. at that. Look at – ah, see? <laughs> the eraser, back the eraser of, of – I always oh. catch shit for forgetting <laughs> things, and here we are. Stick to the script, man. Stick How to the, the worm has turned. <laughs> what do you got, Steve? Um, this is just a super, super quick but very exciting. Uh, New Regency is has signed a TV deal with TKO Studios. Oh. Mm, nice. So uh, they are going to have first crack and exclusive rights to their books. So this is the uh, studio that put out movies like Little Women and Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody and The Revenant uh, and a bunch of other stuff, some flops as well. But um, this is exciting because it means – more comic book stories, like I, I don't want to say lesser known, but just you know, an up and coming publisher getting uh, a big spotlight by teaming up with this this studio to put out you know uh, representations of the banks and Sarah and Lonesome Days and Seven Nights and stuff like that, and it's just a cool opportunity for us to get more comic book related entertainment outside of the superhero or Marvel and DC style stuff and uh, whether this stuff ends up going to Amazon or Netflix or whatever uh, has yet to be seen, but they are now they they've signed the deal and Z Chun of course is uh, at the head of, of this thing. It means we could be getting sentient from Jeff Lemire, which was a very cool graphic novel from them. And yeah, um, go back and listen to, uh, I think it's from last year, early last year, uh, like, episode 457 or something like that, where we uh, interviewed Z on the show. Joey did uh, it's a great, great interview. Uh, he's also, he's also in charge of that new gremlins animated yes. series that's coming out uh, sometime next year. Uh, but yeah, this is exciting. Like I said, like it's, it's a good way to get lesser known creators in this, into the spotlight uh, in the, you know, the small screen, capacity steve orlando roxanne gay uh gabriel uh walta and steve epting and stuff like that and uh it's i think it's cool i think it's it's more the merrier when it comes to this stuff and they they've got some really kind of out there and different feeling stories uh that would make for great adaptations i'd really like to see the banks uh adapted into a television series i think that would translate really well I've had that downloaded on my uh, Comixology Unlimited for a while, and they've just not gotten around to reading it yet. It's good. It's real good. Check it out. Yep, Ming Doyle doing the art. Jordi Belair on the colors. It's it's quite nice. Jordi Belair is on everyone's colors. That's just right. how that, that's just how that works. They love to color. So, have we got any other news stories anyone wants to bring to the table? Did I forget? You know, I'm older now. Things slip my mind. <laughs> Nah, man. I think no, that's... no, no, none for me. None for me. Okay. We can get around to wrapping this thing up before I pass out. Okay, we're going to wrap this bitch up real quick. All <laughs> right, but first, we are going to talk a little bit about what we are looking forward to this week. Steve, go, and then go make yourself a Bloody Mary. Uh, okay. Uh, definitely Detective Comics uh, 1045, DC versus Vampires coming out this week. That's number two. Uh, like I said, I'm going to dive in probably to the, the Catwoman and Harley Quinn stuff. So I'll pick up 9 and 37, then I'll go back and get the other issues. Uh, and I might grab Robin number 8 and go back and, and grab that too. I was talking to our friend Chris the other day about Robin and uh, they haven't been wanting to read it. Uh, I know. 
Amazing Spider-Man number 79. I'm enjoying this run so far. Hawkeye K Bishop number one. If, if, if. it does indeed come out, it was due last I'll week. buy yes. it. And uh, yeah, I'll read it. Uh, X-Men number five, still getting those X books. Need to catch up. Uh, and then quickly house of slaughter. Number two, excellence. Number 12 made in Korea. Number six, sweet paprika. Number five. And that Texas blood. Number 12 is, uh, is my list of books this week. There you have it. Blimey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is this happens a lot. I like, com- I like comic books. Uh, Bob, what do you got? Well, same thing. So many books have changed position in the release cycle. So Hawkeye number one, hopefully, is this week moved from last. Fantastic Four Life Story number five, which I believe finishes that series off. Um, I oh, would have hoped for Adventure Man number seven. That's been pushed to December. And so has Wonder Woman Historia, the Amazons, now next week, next week, next week. But Wonder Woman Black and Gold number six is this week, and Stepan Sheich's new book, Fine Print, should be this week. Hmm. Did you say Wonder Woman Historia is coming out soon? Yeah, uh, it was due in October. It has been finished for a long time. It's some print issues and some DC scheduling stuff. Officially, November 30th. Huh. I wonder what's going on with that, because we have a reserved copy uh, signed by the creative team that's supposed to be on its way, but I, I haven't uh, really gotten any like as do uh, I. update emails. I did get my receipt from Books with Pictures. I'll have to, I'll have to go into my, uh, my inbox and look yeah, for that, he, because I, I definitely signed up for that. Hmm. Right. Bob, I did not know that Fantastic Four Life Story was coming out. I didn't see that anywhere. If that's coming out, yeah. I'm it it was on, yeah, uh, from Fresh Comics. They listed as this week. Previews listed it for last week. <laughs> so oh, nice. who knows? It's the world gone mad. Yes. David, what do you got? Um, well, actually, uh, I have a lot to catch up, uh, a lot of reading to catch up. Uh, I, I heard that you were talking about Once in the Future earlier on. And I got the first few issues, but I haven't actually opened them up, so I need to read that. Um, I, I'm actually on a binge, on a reread binge at the moment of all the uh, ABC comics uh, from Alan Moore. Um, years ago, I bought the uh, the Sleepcase edition of Promethea, and I remember reading this and loving it. Uh, and I haven't I haven't read them in years, and I've been really wanted to dig into it. Um, so I'm going to be uh, binging on that. Nice. I have a relatively, well, extremely short pull list for myself this week. So I'm going to be into Thor number 19, X-Men 5, The Death of Doctor Strange number 3, and Excellence 12. And then a Fantastic Four comes out, and we're going to hit that up as well. Cool. So that's what I got going on. Anyone have anything else they want to talk about? David, why don't you, again, once again, tell everyone where they could catch up with you uh, and how they could support all the work that you were doing for those saucy daddies in the book. That's <laughs> <laughs> yes, those good-looking uh, chaps. Um, well, you can easily find me on Instagram or Facebook, and the name is Bogus Book, which is B O G O S S, and then book. Bogus means uh, handsome man in French. It's uh, kind of a slang uh, for handsome man. Um, so you can find me there and uh, you, there's a link uh, on Facebook and on Instagram to, to go to the shop and see all the books and, and so on. I'm working on a gigantic art book uh, for 2022 
of an artist called Albron, which is A-L-B-R-O-N, and he's got a very interesting page on Instagram, Albron111, I think it is. He's a French artist, and he does a, a 3D rendering of, of guys. Uh, it's a bit like a, a, a gay version of Pixar, pretty much. Uh, and he's been doing work for the best part of a decade, and he asked me to, to do a book with him, and it's going to be a complete biography uh, of, his, of his work so far. So that's the, the big thing I'm working on at the moment. Nice. All right, well, yeah. you know, get to know him, folks. Support yes, your, thank uh, you for inviting me. I was very happy to chat with you guys. Of course, uh, of course, our pleasure. Of course, glad to have you here. Definitely glad to have you here, and I hope everyone takes the time to look up all those different avenues of checking out your content that they can and get to know who you are and supporting, supporting, and supporting because we all need to support our up-and-coming creators, especially with Substack. Never mind. I'm not going to go there. Um, so any other outgoing or closing statements we have here? Bob, you got anything? Nope. Steve, are <laughs> you making your Bloody Mary? I, dude, I'm allergic to tomatoes. Okay. This just never works out for us, does it? <laughs> you can't have nice things. Right. Um, no, I'll say really quick before we go that uh, I think we've got one or two shows left until we start recording for our end of the year awards. Let's see. We got next week's show. And then, oh yeah, no, we got one more show. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of reading until uh, until deliberations. Uh, we are t- not a hundred percent when um, that stuff is going to go live, but we'll probably have more information on that next week. Uh, and then definitely uh, towards the start of the new year, look for a pretty sizable content drop from us, mm-hmm. uh, including new shows and new ways that you can uh, interact with us and maybe get involved in talking comics and stuff like that. Um, we've been teasing it for a little while. We're putting everything together. It's been really hard with everybody's schedules kind of being all over the place and uh, wanting to have certain people around for uh, specific recordings, but we're doing it and we'll let you know we've gone 10 years without having a proper outlet like that. Um, so it's a few more weeks, a few more weeks. We'll be launching the matrix. Take the red pill. Yeah, but we're, um, we're excited about it. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun and we're going to try to keep things, um, you know, at a, at a decent price so that there's, we're not going to gate anything off uh, to people. But uh, it would it would be cool to have some uh, funds to help keep the lights on and stuff like that around here. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Like I said, more on that as uh, as it comes about. All right, then. And, so I uh, think. I think oh, go, are, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Did you have no, I was just going to thank you for hosting the show. No worries. No worries. I know you. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Thank, thank you. Thank you all. Thank you all for supporting me. I, I hope I didn't <laughs> drive it into the ground. No. The building is still on the same side of the road, so I think we're okay. <laughs> You did a great job. All right. So I guess we are done. We have reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, you can send us your comment or questions to our email at podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. We've also got talkingcomicbooks.com. We can find, find we can find our reviews and features from our fantastic contributors. So, Bob, where can our listeners find you? Still the old-fashioned email, Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. Uh, Joey is at Joey Pacino. 
Uh, John Burgle, no one cares. Uh, Steve, where can we oh. find you? <laughs> John is at John Burkle online. I am at dead underscore anchorus. David, you already said it, but did you want to give a, your handle again? Yeah, why not? Yeah, um, you can find me uh, mostly on uh, Instagram and Facebook uh, on the Bogus Book, which is B-O-G-O-S-S and then book, Bogus Book. So there's no excuse for you all not to get that. Yeah. <laughs> all right put it on your end table for your grandmother to see <laughs> <laughs> oh that'll be a nice thanksgiving uh all right so for bob quick thanks to all you folks out in the listening audience who made these last 10 years wonderful agreed, agreed. steve yeah thank you likewise thank you so much for listening uh that's it that's all i got <laughs> <laughs> david um, I'd like uh, to thank Aaron for listening to me and getting back into comics. Thanks to me. I'll give you a new purpose in life and that I change things for the best. Thank you all so much for listening. Be excellent to each other. And until next time, I am Aaron Amos. Uh, this is the Talking Conference podcast to be continued. Continued.